0: Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today.
2: Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: Pick them to win the division at this, at this, uh, during spring training, but I didn't really think of them as potentially being a team that could climb into the you know the bracket of clubs like the Dodgers and the Braves. Uh, you know, this season's gone along, you know, teams like the Yankees, the Mets. But after seeing them over the weekend, absolutely, they're capable of that. I, I think it's a really dangerous team as we go uh, go through the last two-thirds of the regular season.
3: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley, that was Buster only on the show a couple of weeks ago, talking about how he believes the Cardinals have emerged as a legitimate World Series threat. Alex, I think over the next two weeks, really, we're about to find out if he's right or not.
4: Was that before or after we found out Jack Flaherty can't pitch this season
3: when that he, was Buster before. said that? Okay. It's fine. Everything's A-OK. No, we're you're good. Right. It's not necessarily this season. Jack told us. We, we were there when he said it. He's going to be pitching again. Mo told us differently. Don't say that because people are going to take you seriously. Mo man, did not say that. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: right.
3: he did. The next two weeks, you've got Philly for three, Atlanta for four, Philly for four at home, and then you finish off this, uh, this stretch of games of 14 straight games with L.A. The Dodgers coming into town for a three-game set when I will be out of town. So we're about to find out exactly how – significant of contenders the Cardinals are in the National League. We're also about to find out what they need, because when you go up against the likes of Cincinnati or Pittsburgh, Chicago, to a degree, you don't really get to learn a whole lot about your club when you're going up against these legitimate contenders, the teams that you probably will face in the NL playoffs. That's when you learn where your your roster is deficient. Alex, I can't wait to find out what this looks like over the next 14 days or so.
4: Yeah. I mean, on both sides of the spectrum, I'm looking forward to it on the pitching side, going up this offense, not just for Philly, which we all know is great, but Atlanta who has really turned it on. And then on the pitching side of things without Jack Flaherty and with possibly Steven Matz returning, not sure when that's going to happen, but you're going up against this offense. So, It's going to be fascinating, and I I saw this earlier this morning. I I mean, you want your taste of if this team is seriously a World Series contender, look no further than the next three series, because combined in the month of June, Philadelphia and Atlanta lost 14 games. They lost 14 games combined between both teams in the month of June. So you're going to have to slow down to red-hot teams in the NL East. Both offenses, both pitching staffs can really hurt you this is your contender pretender conversation in the next couple of weeks.
5: Yeah, it definitely is because if you can, if you can play slightly above 500, I think you're a team that you're talking about as a contender then, because that's what I would expect. Most teams that are in this conversation to do when you go up against Philadelphia, Atlanta, Philadelphia, and the Dodgers, when you play, those four or yeah three teams in that matter of four uh, series span then it's really going to determine what you are and the one that I'll really be keeping an eye on is is two things really actually the offense how do they do when they do face up against some of these top end pitchers that we'll see uh, throughout these series and then the other one is how will the starting rotation hold up against these lineups I mean you look at it I get it the Phillies don't have Bryce Harper he's out but they still have a solid lineup Atlanta's got a really good lineup even without uh, I think Acuna still dealing with an injury and then you look at the Dodgers and we know what the Dodgers are so I'll be very interested to see how your guys like Libertor who's going to be getting a spot start this weekend who knows how much longer he'll be in because as Alex mentioned Matt potentially could be in back in this stretch how does Palante look in this stretch and how does Dakota Hudson look in this stretch because I know what I'm getting from Wainwright and Miles Michelis. my question is what do the other three guys in the rotation look like and then I think the bullpen should settle I think the bullpen will be fine the three back end guys in the rotation are the ones that I really will have the magnifying glass on and really be evaluating how they look in this stretch
3: the reality is these teams are in the same tier or should be in the same tier as the Cardinals. The Braves are a secondary contender in the National League. I, The way that I view the National League right now, I should say this up front. It's the Mets, and then it's like that second tier of everybody else who you believe to be a contender right now. I think that the Cardinals are in that tier. I think the Dodgers are in that tier. I think Philly could be in that tier. They're aspiring to be in that tier. We'll see what they look like without Bryce Harper. He's going to be out for a while. That could hurt them. Atlanta is definitely emerged into that tier you need to go like 500 500 or better in this stretch of games now I know some people probably hear that and they say BK that's not right they need to do better than that because these are the types of teams that you need to beat in the playoffs all you got to do is be one game above 500 in each playoff series and you can continue to go on to the world series
4: and if you beat if you play these teams 500 that means you're picking up victories against this teams and to me like and I know this narrative isn't going to be good for some people but The regular season's different than postseason. So if you can show that you can stay with these teams, like I go back to that Tampa Bay Rays series, like, yeah, you lost that series, but you played with those guys that entire three-game stretch.
3: Yeah, you go back, I mean, look, look, look even further than that. Milwaukee, you've played them straight up, basically to a draw. Yeah, You beat San Diego, you swept them in that series. You played to a draw in the series against Toronto. Most of the teams that you've gone up against that are in this tier, San Francisco, same thing, you played really well against them. You've pretty much played to a draw And that's okay That's what you need to do in the regular season You gotta go 500 against the really good clubs And then take care of your business Against the terrible teams that are on your schedule And the Cardinals have plenty of those teams That are on their schedule Yeah, so
4: if you're able to go 500 with these teams Yeah, you know what? You'd probably love to see a winning record against those But I'm still going to be a lot more Optimistic about a team that goes 500 against two teams that lost a combined 14 games in one month than I would be, say, if they go into this stretch and they can't win one series.
5: Yeah, 100% with you there. Uh, the, the one thing, too, that we mentioned, the Mets. We put them in that top tier. Cardinals could have easily... Been a lot closer in that year I think they're two and five if I'm not mistaken against the New York Mets. And there's a couple of games where you can point at that they should have won as Geo. well. Come on, man. Geo, yeah, just forgot the case. Not ball. over it. Uh, but no, we're they're not over it by by the Alonzo. big strong guy. Yeah, How do you get guy over guy. it? How did I get over it? Yeah, it, it hurts. Move on to the got the Ollie Marmal mindset yeah. of, hey,
4: that happened yesterday. No, well, that was on. the Mike Schilt mindset. You got to be more optimistic.
5: No, definitely not the Mike Schilt <laughs> <laughs> mindset. Uh, th- but the thing for me, too, is you also are going to get kind of an idea of what these teams are going to be looking at at the deadline because they're sizing you up as well. So, and I know a lot of people are saying that, you know, starting pitching is going to be the number one thing on the market. Well, we'll be able to determine, okay, what's Philadelphia need? What's Atlanta need? And then what do the Dodgers need? And then you can kind of have an idea of what they're going to be shopping for and kind of assess where those teams are going in terms their direction and then you can figure out how you're going to kind of map around what all these other teams are doing and how you can try and improve because that log jam that's in the second tier I agree with you guys. I actually kind of put the Dodgers in a second tier themselves and everybody else is in a third tier because I think the Dodgers are still one of the best teams in that the National League up there close to the Mets. I think once you see what these teams are going to do, you're going to have to get aggressive and you're going to have to find a way to win the deadline over all these teams if you want to separate yourself from this log jam in the second tier. So this, that's
3: what the next stretch looks like. Let's look back for a second, because when we talk again on Tuesday, we're off Monday for the 4th of July. We'll have a best of show for you guys. We're going to officially be halfway through the Cardinals season. And I thought Derek Gould had a really good piece earlier today over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website, talking about what this run looked like for the Cardinals and how difficult it was just in terms of the scheduling of it all. We knew it was going to be tough this year because the lockout pushed everything back that meant that you're going to have a condensed schedule in terms of the the number of dates that are actually available to play the same number of games. There's fewer days off. The Cardinals just played 74 games in their last 77 days. Their pitching staff in this stretch, Alex, has thrown 30 more innings than any other pitching staff in the National League. That is essentially the equivalent of throwing an extra three and a half games relative to every other team in the big leagues. That's compared to the second closest team. In this stretch of games, despite the gauntlet that they've gone through in terms of the number of games per day, the Cardinals starters have a 3.7 ERA. That's ninth in all of Major League Baseball, including Dakota Hudson. That doesn't include Dakota Hudson their relievers have a 3.8 ERA. That is right in the middle of the pack, right in the heart of the That includes Packy
5: (laughs) Naughton. Andrew
4: Verhagen.
3: (laughs) And and T.J. McFarland. And every other free agent that they signed signed this offseason that failed. (laughs) That's probably the most impressive stat so far you've given. The Cardinals have used 11 different pitchers to start at least one game for them. (laughs) 11. (laughs) Good Lord. They have used 26 different players to throw in an inning. If you take out Yadi and Albert from that list, they've used 24 different pitchers in this stretch of games over 77 days. Last year, to put that in context, again, we're almost halfway through this regular season. They've used 24 pitchers. Last year, they used 29 for the entirety of the regular season. Wow. What they are doing right now would have crumbled them a year ago. I think part of that is what the coaching staff has done to be creative in their use of their pitchers and to extend some guys further than maybe even what they expected they could be able to do. Part of it is the depth is just better this year. They signed guys, and as much as we make fun of the TJ McFarlane's or the Drew Berhagen signings, they've given them innings. Now, they ain't been good, but they have been able to cover them better than what some of the guys did a year ago. And the other thing is just like... They've had surprising candidates that have emerged. Andre Palante came out of nowhere. You look at what they're getting right now out of uh, Junior Fernandez. He's been really good. Packy Naughton, we joke, he's been pretty good for them this year. Those guys giving them significant contributions, that has really changed the way that you look at this pitching staff. So as much as it's been frustrating at times, to go 40 and 34 in a stretch of 74 games in 77 days when you have had so many pitching injuries, I got to give the Cardinals their proper credit. That's pretty damn impressive.
4: Very much so. And you're right, BK. I mean, they would have crumbled. Heck, they did crumble last year. They had to go get Luis Garcia off of waivers. They had to go trade for John Lester and all of these guys that didn't make much sense because they just needed somebody who could throw. Pitching, I think, is the more important aspect of that conversation. But you do also have to mention that they have gone a majority of this first half without all three of their outfielders. I mean, Harrison Bader,
3: now this is most recent. It's been very
4: rare that they've had all three
3: in the lineup at once. Yeah, Again, sucks.
4: Yeah. He missed a little chunk at the beginning. Tyler O'Neal, pretty much a majority of the season he's been out, and then Dylan Carlson as well. So you've been without three of your outfielders for probably half of this first half of the season. And remember what happened when you lost one of those guys last season. Didn't have much offense. So that's also impressive with this first stretch of games.
5: And on the pitching side of it, too, the thing that really impresses me is like, look what you've done with essentially without Jack Flaherty. I I mean, I agree that you need to go out and acquire probably a front end starter to help yourself in the postseason and really push you towards that World Series contention but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that you could go and win a World Series without Jack Flaherty. I mean, it's going to be a lot tougher, don't get me wrong, but they've gotten to this point so far, and they're right in the thick of the race in the NL Central. They've played pretty well against most teams. They have not really been a series minus the Tampa Bay one, but they were close in that one, as we mentioned earlier, where you look at it and you go, well, they weren't really in that series. They were just dominated throughout that. They haven't really had that. They've been pretty even with just about everybody that they've played, and they've done a good job taking care of business against the teams here in the NL Central that are below 500. So the pitching is impressive with the guys that have come up, and we've seen some of the surprises, as you mentioned. But doing this also without Jack Flaherty and using all these guys in the rotation. Uh, Libertor, I get it. Some people haven't been impressed with his stuff, but he's done a decent job in terms of eating up innings for you. Uh, You look at uh, Oviedo and Thompson coming into the bullpen being kind of those bridge guys for you in the middle relief role. Done a good job. Palante moving over to that rotation spot. They've done a very good job of replacing not only filling these innings, but also replacing the production from Jack Flaherty.
3: If I told you before the season that Andre Pallante would throw more innings in the first half of the season than Jack Flaherty and Steven Matz combined, I would have said, who's Andre Pallante? I don't think any of us would have been thinking that this had gone particularly well for the Cardinals. And instead, they're right in contention. They're right. they're, They're right where they need to be right now. I think all of us would have liked it to be a little better. They're second in the central right now. They're 43 and 35 on the season. They're slightly ahead of where the Giants find themselves. They're slightly ahead of where the Phillies find themselves today. And just a little behind the Brewers, the Braves, the Padres. They're right in that next tier behind them in terms of their overall record. It's really impressive. It's a really impressive job of what they've been able to overcome, what they've been able to do so far in the first half of the season. They finish up the first half this weekend. Big series against the Philadelphia Phillies. We'll talk about that more as we go along today here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we got to get into the Tampa Bay Lightning and some of the big decisions that they're going to be making in the not too distant future. Could they be sending a defenseman to the St. Louis Blues? Oh! <gasps> We did some math. We think the Blues can make it work. We'll explain why coming up here in the 12 o'clock hour. But next, the college football landscape is shifting again. What does it mean for the local schools? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: ferrario and tanner and i'm brandon Kylie. coming up in about 10 minutes we're talking to eric just eric can you can you pronounce his last name for me t-bone you
4: gotta keep his mic on man he turned his mic on try it again buddy i got gotcha. you
3: erlinson erlendinson erlendinson I apologize on the pronunciation. We'll he him. covers the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's going to be outstanding. He's a re- He's got really good information about what's going on with what the Lightning, their Bears. cap crunch right now. We're going to talk to him about Ryan McDonough, who I think should be the next Blues defenseman. We'll do that coming up in about 10 minutes. But right now, guys, college football is turning on its head once again. And it's really college sports in general. But let's be honest. College football is what rules college sports. It's the moneymaker for everybody. And that's why we're seeing any of this. Like, for example... USC and UCLA did not join the Big Ten because they believe that their wrestling programs are really going to get a better opportunity to shine. I'm
5: glad you said wrestling because I, the way you looked at me, I thought you were going to say tennis.
3: No, no, their wrestling programs... I. I don't know that they're going to shine in the Big Ten, and I don't think that's why they decided to go there.
5: They even have a wrestling program?
3: I don't know, man, but the Big Ten's very good at wrestling. I do know that much. They're going because of football. That's where the money's at. That's where the TV rights deals are, and that's why they're moving. So, Dennis Dodd had a really explosive piece earlier today over on CBSSports.com. Dennis Dodd is an excellent journalist. He's from Missouri. Blues he fan. says He is a very big Blues fan. He says, Clemson, Florida State, and Miami now have a decision to make. According to Dennis Dodd, Industry sources believe it's a reasonable expectation that those ACC powers had previously inquired with the SEC and they might have even talked to the Big Ten as well. For now, there's no interest from the Big 12 to take any of the remaining Pac-12 schools. When asked about why they wouldn't be interested in that, one high-ranking Big 12 official said, quote, why would we, end quote. So the Big 12 is standing pat. I don't think we're going to see any more movement this year. Yesterday was a deadline of sorts. Apparently the PAC 12s media rights deals. Basically, if you didn't tell them by June 30th that you were out, you had to pay a a bunch of extra money. And these schools aren't in the business of doing that. So right now, this is what it is going into the rest of this year. But Alex, I don't think we've seen the end of this. I think the big question that everybody's asking now is how many teams do these conferences want? Are you trying to get to 20 teams, trying to get to 24? Are we just going to do two mega conferences where you've got 32 teams in either of those two conferences with the Big Ten and the SEC kind of ruining the day? That is what I'm most interested in seeing where this ends. What is the end point for these conferences?
4: Those are the two big questions that I have is, one, is this essentially going to get to the point where you don't have four or three conferences? It's going to be two big conferences. And two, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, BK – In the SEC specifically, it's even money to everybody involved, correct? Mm -hmm. Does that change? Because if you're bringing in teams that aren't up to the same caliber as some of these other teams, are they... Seriously going to consider just even money to everybody involved? Yeah, because the the money's so big, everybody's getting paid so much so, money. So, like, if they throw a
3: Washington into the SEC, and I don't even think that's... I think that would be a Big Ten school. It's like, I, I think Ten. Oregon and Washington could be the next shoes to drop next year for is, the Big Ten. Is Big Ten like the SEC where it's even money all around? If they have junior members, it, like, the first few years that okay. you're in. That was one of the reasons why, like, for Mizzou, for example, going back to the realignment back a decade ago now... Um. Well, first of all, the Big Ten didn't want Mizzou. Uh, but right, yeah. we're I can't on There, a lot of Mizzou fans looked at it and said it makes more sense monetarily to go to the SEC, even if the Big Ten culturally would be a better fit for the University of Missouri, even money rather than the because you get more money, money gotcha. quicker. So in then the that SEC. would
4: make sense because I saw Washington and Oregon's name brought up. But if those are more Big Ten, because you can't throw those teams into an SEC and expect them to get the same money.
3: I mean, you can. Why not? I, it doesn't make any sense for USC and UCLA to be in the Big Ten. Like that doesn't make any it doesn't sense make to anybody. for half of you know, these we West just, Coast teams like, to be playing on the East Coast I know, either. We just, yeah. we just
5: said that the poor equipment manager got to drive forty-one hours to none bring the equipment from the east to the west. Like well.
3: none of it does. It, 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 the old conferences where it was the Big Twelve. Honestly, the Big Eight before that, the Southwest Conference, and like the way that the Pac-12 used to exist, those geographically all made sense. Historically speaking, a lot of them had like rivalries that made sense. None of that matters anymore. All it matters is how much money can you make in this conference? And if you can make more money elsewhere, then they're going to take that because there is no loyalty to anybody else involved. It is completely cutthroat. And it's a matter of, okay, we make $100 million here. We can make $170 million there. Well, what's the reason that we're sticking with $100 million? Out of loyalty to Washington State and Utah? I don't think you have no. loyalty to those teams at all. Yeah, they clearly don't. So that's that's how we've arrived at where we are today. Now projecting forward, what does this mean for, for other schools and really locally? Illinois is good. They're, they're in a really well, good spot. they're not good. They're, they're just they're we in get a good spot. That's
5: what I'm talking about. We hey, get to watch the big boys play. They have a big
3: market locally. So you've got St. Louis and really the more important one, and unfortunately, Chicago is local to Illinois. So the Big Ten wants to have them as part of the conference for that reason alone. Also, they're in one of the two conferences that matter. So you don't have to worry about any movement. Illinois, you're in a really good spot right now. Yes.
5: Slur. I don't have football
3: programs yeah, so I don't they're, know. They're so basically so. oh, they got basketball. Missouri is is right. in an interesting spot. So this is from Dennis Dot. I'm gonna tell you on the front end, there is, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, a zero percent chance of this happening. However, he did write it. <laughs> Jeez. Why I'm just telling <laughs> However,
4: he thing. did write it. No chance it's true. Don't gotta sugarcoat it.
3: Remember when the Big 12 was almost going away last year? That was heartless, yes. Now consider a similar scenario. If, say, the SEC wanted to make room for the likes of Clemson or Miami, would it simply eject a couple of underperforming schools? Could the Big Ten uh, consider doing something similar if there was a more prominent program lined up? One conference official reminded me that schools don't commit to the conference, or schools commit to the conference, not the other way around. So... Could we see a scenario where the SEC says out with Vanderbilt and Missouri and in with Clemson and Miami? Could the Big Ten do something similar where they say, see ya, Indiana and Purdue, with Washington and Oregon joining the conference? The Big East booted Temple back in 2001 for underperformance. Just put Mizzou and Vanderbilt in the same conversation. It's a long shot, but judging by the events of Thursday, nothing is out of the question.
4: Let me ask you this, BK. If they were... To do this, which you don't think there's a chance to do. Yeah, no. Does it benefit
3: them at all to go to the Big Ten? Mizzou? Yeah. It, so it depends who you're not asking. Sure are Ten you asking me? In. Are you asking Mizzou? Are you asking the Big Ten? Because those almost are three different answers. Well, let's ask all three. Oh, Well, let's not ask you because I don't care. My answer okay, is, well, <laughs> let's start there then. if If I was in a high level position today at Missouri, I'd be calling the Big Ten. I think that the Big Ten is a better fit and has always, frankly, been a better fit for Missouri than the SEC. Now, the SEC, you get a little bit more money. Mizzou fans are going to get some are going to get mad at me for saying this. But, man, Mizzou is always going to be in this conversation if they're in the SEC, where it's like, yeah, it's them and Vandy and they don't really fit what we have here. It's just culturally not not as good of a fit as it would be in the, in the big 10, there are more natural rivalries within the big 10 than there are in the sec for Mizzou. There are more pure programs. I looked up money-wise, like what Mizzou spends on its football program in the sec. There are only three teams within $20 million of what Mizzou is spending on his football program. They're that low. If they went to the bill, big probably. 10, if they went to the big 10, they would be right towards, they would still be lower within the big 10, but There's like seven teams that are within $20 million of them. They'd be closer to the middle of the pack. So it makes more sense to be there as opposed to in the SEC. That's my answer. Mizzou's answer would be, no, we're in the SEC. We like being in the SEC. Nobody leaves the SEC voluntarily, and we ain't going to be the first ones to do it. Because of the money. The Big Ten would probably say, man, we could go get Washington and Oregon, and we could go to the East Coast and get like Virginia Tech or potentially bring in Clemson. Why are we spending any time talking to the University of Missouri? So that's what they would say. Mizzou does have AAU status, which if you're not familiar with it, it basically means they're a really strong academic university. And the Big Ten really cares about that stuff. Both UCLA and USC were members of the AAU, are members of the AAU. That's part of what they take into account. So. Those are the three different perspectives. The reality is, Mizzou's in the SEC, and I believe that they will continue to be in the SEC, even though I wish they were in the Big Ten.
5: Yeah, I, I think they'll remain in the SEC. I I don't see the SEC just kicking a school out. And I get it that they can go big fish hunting for like the Clemson's, the Florida State's, Miami Floridas, uh, Notre Dame, who's technically an independent right now. I just can't see them. If anything, they're just going to continue to add to their wealth. I, I can't see them ejecting. I get it, Missouri Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt under <laughs> underperforming, but I can't see them just saying, yeah, so long. With you guys, you guys go have fun elsewhere. It's also I, I not think it's how it's just these decisions capital. are made. It's about yeah. money. And it's, Everything's it's more about capital. Money. The more you have, the more capital you're bringing in. And so you can I can't
4: perform in the SEC all you want as long as you're getting that even share. Yeah. It doesn't and
3: really matter as long as you have St. Louis and Kansas City. That, that's what the SEC cared about. That's why they looked at Mizzou. Is yeah. because they have those markets that they can bring to the table for TV money. And that's that's all any of this is about. It's about the money. Follow the money, and you can find out how how any of this stuff is getting done.
5: And that's why I think another market to keep an eye on in the Big Ten. I can't remember who. Tweeted this out, but it was of the seven biggest markets. The Big Ten is now in six of them, and I think the one they're missing is in that kind of Houston, Dallas, Texas market. So teams like Baylor, that are stuck in the Big Ten or Big Twelve, are a team to keep an eye on. Baylor, Texas Tech, those are the two that I'd keep an eye on. Houston's one, they just moved to the Big Twelve. I They may stay in the Big 12 for now, but don't be shocked if they're a team that also could uh, jettison to the Big 10 as well. And then again, you mentioned it, Oregon, Washington. Those are the other teams. They're on the West Coast. It makes more sense for them to be kind of in that Big 10, which has got more of that Midwest feel than it is the uh, East Coast.
3: This ain't done. We're still going to have a couple of years, I would imagine, of conference realignment before we get to maybe a five to seven year stretch where it's quiet for a little while. Because that's what we just had, like 2013-ish. To 2019, things got pretty quiet there for a little while, and then we are right back into full gear right now, and uh, that's that's where it seems to be staying at least for the next couple of seasons. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm brandon Kylie. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll do some Ask Us Anything. If you have questions, sports or otherwise, for us, you can get them in on the Air Comfort Service text line at six five seven eight zero. That's coming up in 15 minutes. Eric Erlinson. Is coming up next. He covers the lightning for LightningInsider.com. We'll ask him what he expects to happen with Ryan McDonough and does he think there's a deal to be made with the blues form? We'll talk about it next year on
2: 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Yesterday, we heard the report that Ryan McDonough might end up being what is essentially a cap casualty from the Tampa Bay Lightning because they would like to continue to build around their uh, forward group that they've assembled and they've they've got a cap crunch. This is what happens when you've got a flat cap in the NHL. And right now we are going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Eric Erlinson who covers the team down for lightninginsider.com. You can follow him on Twitter at his name, Eric, E-R-I-K underscore Erlinson, E-R-L-E-N-D-S-S-O-N. Eric, we appreciate the time and all of the insight that you can give to us today what's the latest that you can tell us about this ryan mcdonough situation and how this came to to be
1: well as you mentioned there's cap issues that this team has and it's it's not even necessarily next year's cap it's kind of looking down the road a little bit because he does carry mcdonough does carry a 6.75 million dollar cap hit for the next four years and after next season the lighting have eric chernak and mikhail sergachev in particular up for new deals too and uh you know, and, and McDonough is just one of those guys that you kind of have to look at and say, okay, if we have to move somebody, who are we going to move? And sometimes you look at the guys who have a little bit of a higher cap hit and, and he falls into that category. So, uh, again, it's not a question of we don't want Ryan McDonough. It's a question of we have to explore the possibility of maybe making this happen. Uh, and certainly he was reached out, uh, his agent was reached, uh, saying is there a list of teams that you could provide that you'd be willing to maybe move a no-trade clause to and we could look to explore that type of move because he does have a full no trade clause in his contract which means any deal he would have to approve
4: so eric uh, with the ryan mcdonough you mentioned how it's not something that they want to do it's something that they have to do and all the reports that i have heard has been tampa's locker room is not pleased about this and from what i understand ryan mcdonough is a well-liked player in the locker oh, room yeah. on the ice is that what you understand as well
1: Absolutely, he he is a very popular guy in the in the room uh, for everything he does. Like he doesn't get the, the the role he plays is not the glory position, right? It's not the ten goal forty point guy. It's the guy who's going to block six seven shots a night. Um, you know, he's the guy who's going to be out there first penalty kill. He's the guy out there final minute of the game protecting a lead against the other team's top line. I mean, he does all those little things, uh, veteran presence, everything that he does bring. Um, you know, but uh, if, if you're Julian Breezeball, you have to, I mean, look, everybody in that room, specifically the guys who have been on the team the past three years, are very popular. It's a very close, tight, very tight-knit uh, locker room situation, as you can imagine, with the success that they've had over the past couple of years. And, um, so anybody that you would be looked at, you know, it would be sitting there saying, man, we, this guy is too popular. He's too good in our room. Why, we, why would we want to have to move him? Uh, but they, those are hard decisions that uh, management has to make. It's the reason they couldn't sign Barclay, Goodrow, or Blake Coleman, why they had to lose somebody popular in the expansion draft last year, why they had to trade Tyler Johnson. They're not easy decisions for management to make at all.
3: Eric, when you look at what they're going to be prioritizing in, in a deal, if they do end up trading Ryan McDonough, are they looking to just remove the contract from the books in its entirety, or are they trying to get something of significance in return?
1: I guess it's what we would determine to be significance, right? Uh, maybe if it's another young defenseman at, uh, you know, control, cost control for maybe a few more years, uh, similar to a deal that they got Brandon Hagel in from Chicago at, you know, 1.75 or 1. 1.5, whatever his contract is, something along those lines. But the biggest priority here is opening up cap space. And uh, if they can completely clear it off the books, that's one thing. But if they could get maybe a, a young player or even a first-round draft pick in return for Uh, ryan mcdonough maybe that's an area that they would kind of look at a little bit more closely because um you know you that's a lot of minutes that's a big role that you would have to move on from ryan mcdonough and they do not have anybody in their system that can step up and take up any of those type of minutes mikhail sergachev can move up the depth chart but then you don't really have anybody else on the left side and that's been a big strength of tampa bay's over the last number of years is their left side defense with victor hedman ryan mcdonough mikhail sergachev
4: So if that were the case, Eric, and let's hypothetically go down the path that the Blues would be calling Tampa Bay about this trade possibility, do you see a scenario where if the Blues were willing to offer up a young defenseman that could play in their system – would
3: Tampa, do you think, be willing to eat some of McDonough's salary? And one guy that would make some sense, Eric, just for what it's worth, is Scott Perunovich. He's a left-handed defenseman from the Blues. Now, he's small. He's 5'10". and he, but he's a, Nico Mikola. He, he's a puck mover, though, on the back end and very good on the power play as well.
1: Um, yeah, that's something that they could explore for sure. Um, you know, it, again... Uh, team control over the contract for a few years because, like I said, it, this season is not the huge deal, right? Like they, you know, they announced earlier today they re-signed Nick Paul to a seven-year deal at three point uh, two million dollars. Um, so they're taking care of stuff right now, but it's beyond that. It, it, like I said, it's a Sergachev contract, it's um, you know the, the uh, Chernak contract, so all that stuff. So yeah, if they could get a young defenseman uh, under contract control for the next handful of years, that would be the ideal situation. Uh, if it's a lefty. Um, you know, probably a little bit more ideal depending on what they can do with gone Root on the right side because you already have Zach Bogosian and, uh, and Chernak on the right. You've got Cal Foot on the right side as well. So uh, probably a left, a left side guy would probably be an area maybe they target.
3: That's interesting. Eric, do you think that the Blues are a team that has or will show interest?
1: Um, I would imagine, right? They they're always everybody's looking to improve their decor and and, and it would be something that might interest McDonough too, because let's face it, he's a guy in his entire career. He's never missed the playoffs. He has never missed the playoffs with the team he's been on, whether it's the Rangers or the Lightning. So if he's going to agree to this, it's going to be a team that he feels can compete and can contend and certainly we know the blues are in that category. So Uh, if there's a a way to make it fit i I think that there could be some interest on both ends
4: eric one more question that i have for you and it's just ryan mcdonough because i think everybody's pushback on this in st louis if it were to happen would be yeah but you're trading for a 33 year old defenseman who's got a lot of wear and tear on his body and four years left at that cap hit you've seen him in his entire time with tampa bay should there be concern on a guy who's 33 and the plays the way that he plays
1: well, there's always that concern, you know. Guys start to get on the other side of of 30 there, right? Uh, especially with the heavy, hard minutes he plays. I mean, that guy was playing 26, 27 minutes a night with the Rangers there for a couple of years. hasn't played hasn't had to play as maybe as many here in Tampa Bay because of the depth that they do have. But certainly with with the block shots that he has and. You know, he finished, um, you know, he played the entire Stanley Cup final with a mangled finger. Yeah, you, you have to think about those things for sure. Uh, but he is a guy who last year when they won the Cup, he played so well, he received some smite votes, including one from me having watched him play that entire season. Uh, and, and in the middle of every and so many important plays that the team had during that run to the Cup in 2021, he was right in the middle of all of it. Uh, so, th- I mean, this is certainly you're looking four years down the road but if you're a team like St. Louis who has a win now mode he's a guy that could fit right because he can help you win right now and you have to worry about down the road down the road because everybody's goal every year is to win the cup
3: Eric this has been awesome man thanks so much for your insight is there anything else you think we need to know about Ryan McDonough and what lies ahead in terms of like maybe the the timing of all of this and, and where he could ultimately land
1: I think if they're going to do this, it's going to have to be quick, right? I think if you're Julian Broussard, the GM at Tampa Bay, you're looking at the draft next week. If you're looking to maybe recoup a first-round draft pick, maybe there's a timetable there to get it in, and maybe you've given McDonough. You know, or maybe you promised McDonough, okay, we'll try and make it work within this window. If not, we're going to, you know, we're not going to move you. So uh, I, I could certainly see that happen as well. I don't think this is anything that either party would want to linger. I think if this is going to happen, it's going to happen sooner rather than later.
3: He's Eric Erlinson. Find his work over at lightninginsider.com. Eric, this has been great. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. And hopefully we'll be talking with you again soon.
1: All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate
3: it. That's Eric Erlinson joining us here on 101 ESPN coming up here in about five minutes or so. We'll get to ask us anything, but let's react to that real quick. I mean, you think about this and from the blue side of things, I do think this is the deal that makes the most sense. I'm going to be honest with you. I think this even makes more sense in some ways, hockey wise, purely hockey wise. Than a guy like Jacob Chikrin, I agree 100. percent He fits perfectly with yeah. what they need. Did he you is, hear what
4: he just labeled him as? Blocking shots, playing in the last minute. This is what you were looking for, Blues fans. But last he's not year. just that.
3: Like that's mm-hmm. the thing is the the Ben Sharat stuff never really made a ton. He was a there one was a time trick pony. when I sold myself on it, but all he was was grit. There was no real game behind it at this point in his career. This is the opposite. Mm-hmm. This is as much game as there is grit for Ryan McDonough. And that's what you need. That's the kind of player. He also, by the way, I was looking at some more of the numbers for him. He starts in the defensive zone. 67% of the time. Like you can do all of the things that they were doing last year with the platooning in their own zone. You can play him in very specific situations. If you've got a big time opponent, like say for example, the Colorado avalanche that you're going up against where they've got this offensive firepower, you can match him up in the opportunities that you need to. He, he fits in really nicely with what they need on the blue line.
4: He's a, he's a next level version of Justin Falk. Like that's the best way I can label a Ryan McDonough from everything that I've heard. And from what I've seen watching him play throughout his career. I mean, the guy has gotten Norris trophy votes eight times in his career. Most recently in the 2018, 19 season. Now I know he was 29 years old then, and he's 32 now, but Yes, you want a younger player and you don't want to pay a guy this much money. But when you've got a guy who consistently is in the lineup for you, like this guy's not, he just played the playoffs with a mangled finger. It's not like he's missing games if he's injured. This is the prototypical blues defenseman here. And I'm with you in terms of a soul hockey trade, not talking about cap. We're going to do that yes. later, but just hockey trade. This makes you better
3: than any other defenseman that realistically you can acquire this offseason. The other thing is, when he said, hey, maybe there's a way that another team could could take some of this cap hit down. Maybe a three-party team like we've seen in the past. Or you don't even have to necessarily do that. The lightning might be able to take on some of this money. Maybe they take on like $2 million per year, the rest of the deal, right? So you're getting rid of most of it, but you're taking on a little bit of that deal. It would essentially be like a buyout, right? But but you don't have those future years that you put the money into uh, if you're the lightning. That's something that could be appealing to the Blues as well, because then you essentially get Ryan McDonough at the same cap hit that you would be acquiring with Jacob Chikrin and maybe that means you have to trade less for him as well. Maybe instead of trading a first-round pick plus Perunovic plus Bulduk, maybe it's just Perunovic, and maybe you include that first-round pick in there. Or maybe yeah. it's Nico Mikula in that first-round pick.
4: I, I tell you this: if you if you put both trades in front of you, it's going to take more to acquire Jacob Chickren than it will to acquire Ryan McDonough. Absolutely. And with Ryan McDonough, from everything that Eric mentioned, like they could, they have cap space right now. In terms of trying to pay Andre Pilat but Andre Pilat is not going to accept 1.8 million dollars they need to open up more
3: caps space they're currently 5.1 million dollars over the salary cap for 2022. so just trading
4: Ryan McDonough does not help Andre Pilat here they're going to have to move other pieces like an Alex Kalorn, or maybe somebody else that i'm I'm not aware of. But if you're willing to give them something that they don't have to go out to the free agent market to go after, like a left-handed defenseman, Nico Mikula, I think, would make more sense for Tampa because they like those big, heavy players, and you're sending one off for a current one. But if you're willing to give
3: them an asset like that, Maybe they're going to be willing to eat a little more of that contract situation from the 3014 guys. I appreciate the uh, hockey talk, but how do you talk to a lightning insider and not mention the fact that Nick Paul on a seven year deal for three point two million dollars per year is not going to help with the cap issues, even though the deal is OK. The reason why they're trying to get rid of not get Ryan. rid of the reason why they have to get rid of Ryan McDonough is because they wanted to keep Nick Paul and they want to keep uh, Andre pull like that's what this is all about if they didn't need to do those things if they didn't want to do them then Ryan McDonough could be around
4: they're able to do this with Ryan McDonough because they have one of the best defensemen in the game today and Victor true. Hedman and another one coming up Mikhail Sergachev Sergachev should be playing top pairing minutes with Victor Hedman but they have Ryan McDonough who's getting paid a lot of money so they're they're, they're also seemingly very right-handed heavy right now they're moving from an area of strength to fix the area that they're trying to continue to build Stanley Cup championships off of, which is offense. They want Nick Paul. They want Andre Palat because, as Eric just mentioned to us, they've had to trade away guys that they didn't want to move. Tyler Johnson and Blake Coleman. They've had to move these guys. They don't want to keep doing that when they can move a defenseman who they view as expendable
3: because of what they have. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to play a game of better or worse, the Cardinals' second half edition. When we get back on Tuesday, we will officially be through the first half of the Cardinals' regular seasons as we project forward, which of them are going to have better second halves than they did first halves. So we'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. Ask us anything. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101-ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101-ESPN.
3: Seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line for ask us anything if you have any questions sports or otherwise get them in now on the air comfort service tax line at 65780 from the 314 hey alex i wanted to ask you a question it looks like the blues are going to be without at least one of their assistant coaches next year with montgomery taking the job in boston who do you think the blues could look to to replace him
4: this is a good one because i um at first, I thought that they weren't really going to bring anybody in because, you know, they usually only have two guys on the bench and it doesn't seem like Steve Otter, Mike Van are going anywhere unless we hear something different. But because you're losing such an impactful player on the penalty kill side, and I don't know how this individual is with players, but Montgomery was this way with Kyrou and Thomas. Rick Tockett might be somebody that I think Craig Berube looks at and says, let's bring him in because Rick Tockett was in the running for the Winnipeg Jets job and it sounds like Winnipeg's hiring former Dallas head coach Rick Bonus maybe he gets hired by San Jose who just fired their coach I'm not sure but Rick Tockett who played with Barubi and Philly for a while very good friends and on top of it Rick Tockett led arizona to the third best penalty kill for the four seasons that he was the head coach there and that's the biggest area that jim montgomery's leaving so i wonder if the blues look into maybe rick tockett as an assistant
3: coach who can potentially get that head coach job moving forward that's interesting if if he does come here to st louis i would love to set up something with him weekly if we could
4: well doug armstrong doesn't or allow daily.
3: assistant coaches to talk so yeah that would be super unfortunate it's honestly
5: mm-hmm. can, can i like can, I, can I'd I love give you to a talk to Steve a real more. quick
3: I don't want Rick talk to coach anywhere. I, I want, want a, him to continue being on TNT because I think that that show was excellent. And he's a big yeah. part of the secret sauce that makes it work.
4: And he's a phenomenal interview. I mean, we've had yeah. him on multiple yeah. times and the guy is just so good at, I mean, that's why he gets to be, he wants to be head coach again because he knows hockey. Um, but yeah, selfishly I'm with you. I'd prefer him not to take the job, but I'd like the penalty kill for the blues to be really good next year. So if he wants to hire or if he wants to sign, he's willing to come
3: here from the three, one, four guys, what are your plans for the 4th of July? Um, golf,
5: always a good call.
3: Barbecue, great call. And I'd love to say
4: nap, but that doesn't and, happen. Okay, so okay, no, come on. Lounge you have fireworks anywhere? No, we were gonna go to my sister. Tanner hates fireworks. He hates America, but I mean, I hate fireworks too. See, see. I mean, I have two dogs that panic and a new baby so, oh, or okay. a baby, so I hate. You'll hate fireworks too soon, buddy. Don't worry. But my, so we were gonna go to my sister's out in uh, Milstadt. They have this big like fireworks hey, in Illinois. Millstat? Millstat. That's not a real real place. No, it is. I, I mean, I'm, you're yeah. from
5: Illinois. You should know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a real place. But they were
4: supposed to do this big, like, fireworks show, and apparently they canceled it because Illinois must hate fireworks, too.
5: Eh, maybe. Uh, my place. Town of
4: 3,000.
5: Oh, what the? I didn't know they even got smaller than all in the Illinois. Uh,. My plans for the 4th of July weekend, I'm getting ready to head to Springfield. Right after our show today, I'm traveling to Springfield, Missouri. Going to go catch a couple of Springfield Cardinals games. See what some of the prospects look like. Go to a couple games with my dad and then just hang out with him for the weekend before we come back. Uh, No plans for fireworks. I think the Cardinals are doing something uh, Saturday night. We may watch the fireworks that they have, but... Other than that, do that, and then when I get back home, maybe do some grilling on Monday for the Fourth of July.
3: Nice. I my dad's coming into town. He's in KC normally; lives out there, and uh he's coming to town. We're doing my backsplash. No Yeah, do it yourself BK over here, doing some big stuff inside of the well, house. So we're doing that this weekend. Do it yourself, Mister BK here. Yeah, my father actually is probably going to be doing <laughs> most of the work, but um, well, BK uh, watches. BK's class. like,
4: good job, Dad. I'll give you a hand, Dad. <laughs> Daddy, can do you want me to hand you the tile? that's probably gonna be my job um so we're doing that this take weekend
5: my picture, look. I'm doing it.
4: <laughs> if there's an if there's a is there gonna be a picture posted of you on twitter of putting up
3: backsplash of course dad take a picture while i'm holding this backsplash <laughs> okay now you do it <laughs> exactly that's, that's 100 percent how i do it go. as well i'm glad you understand how this works <laughs> uh, so he's coming into town we'll probably do some fireworks or something in the saint charles area this weekend but uh, nothing crazy. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for Ask Us Anything. Uh, from the 314, guys, what do you like most about the 4th of July? Pool, fireworks, food, or all of the above?
5: Well, I just said that I don't like fireworks. I'd probably
3: I, say I pool. Mi- I
5: don't mind fireworks. If I go and see fireworks, it's not like I'm going to be like, God, ah, I'm not fireworks. I'm, oh. I'm pa- so I
3: feel like 4th of July is the best food. I would rather really? have cookout food than I think any Over other Memorial for... Day?
4: I mean, it's the same thing, right? Well, no, I love Memorial Day because I get to celebrate America, and I don't have to deal with fireworks. No, but I'm, He's talking, know, we're talking the food. about food, right? <laughs> no, there's...
5: What he said? Food. What do you I mean? He no. said it has the best food of any of the All holidays. Right, I know we made Memorial fun of him Day's in the office food. for not listening when the mics are on, but no, you Memorial Day is better. For what food. is
3: the difference? I don't know. He probably something. Know. Okay. Uh, I I would take the cookout food over just about anything else. So I I would say my favorite thing is probably the food.
5: I think I'm with that. I mean, I'm, what what are you? Well, I'm assuming what are you grilling though for like Fourth of July? What's like your go-to for? I mean, burgers, broths, hot dogs, chicken. Okay. Yeah, yeah well, that's what I thought, but I was no like, knowing don't... you, he'd be like, oh, I'm going to smoke something nice and have a nice pair of ribs for Why do you guys have water? the same he voice just, for did me? Did he just steal my BK voice? I did. I, I don't know if you were on the same vibe as I was. but it, No, it wasn't I, good, but it's all right. Buddy. I make that food a lot, though, so like, I don't view it as anything like special. Yeah, T-Bone I makes like to, hot dogs yeah, every fair. damn Woo-hoo! day. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm going to have ballpark dogs while at the Springfield Cardinals games, come home Monday, grill some myself. Why not?
3: Go to 4th of July adult beverage. Seltzer's. You knew that was coming.
5: Yeah. Probably summer shandies.
3: Because I'm thinking like on the water from Boulevard. Mm-mm.
4: Really good. Yeah.
5: I've never heard of that.
4: I would recommend them checking. Telling you, I'm, they've um, got them at Schnooks. I'm into cactus lime Mick Ultra right
3: now. Those are okay. They don't have a ton of flavor. Oh, they're so good.
5: Check, check out the quirks this like, weekend. That's like his specialty. Yeah, no flavor.
3: That's um, true. I've been going with mostly quirks lately when it's when I'm outside. It's just so freaking hot. That's quirky. Six five seven eight oh is the air Comfort service <laughs> X line from the three one four. Will you guys be watching the hot dog eating contest this no, weekend? Tanner, are you gonna it's be disgusting. participating?
5: No. <laughs> that grosses me up. I love hot dogs, but I can't watch those guys like dipping it in water <laughs> and then like shoving it down their throat. I can't do it's it. Not it's not even disgusting. that. It's
4: more the hot dog that doesn't go in there. <laughs> Keep going. It's it's more like the hot dog that doesn't get into the individual's yeah. mouths, the 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 soggy bread that just gets all over Look, their. I, I'll chests. be I'll oh, be amazed by the
5: I'll just be amazed by the number I see. Whatever Joey Chestnut does, I don't need to actually watch him do it. I'll I will just go, oh seventy! Wow, that's impressive. That's like watching Fear Factor. Oh, that was a good
3: show. It was a great show. Tanner wouldn't know anything about Fear Factor. But
4: it was like watching it because it was just disgusting.
3: 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Tax Line to get involved in the show. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Guys, I did math last night. I'm going to be honest with you. The first seven times I did it, it didn't go particularly
5: well. You're welcome. I'm glad I fixed it.
3: Both of us did. You're welcome. (laughs) By round eight, though baby we got to figure it out and for 2022 let me tell you the blues can make it work with ryan mcdonough don't ask about future oh, no. years it gets ugly but we'll tell you how they can do it coming up at 12:15. better or worse cardinal second half edition next there on 101 espn
2: we're right back to the PK and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
3: a game here. 65780 is air comfort service text line if you guys want to play along. this in or out? This is this a 4th of or July worse. draft? Are we sure? Cardinal 2nd Half Edition. Oh yeah, let's do barbecue draft for 4th of July. Yeah. Oh, we should have done that. I'll we take hot dogs. It. We'll, do it on, we'll do it on Tuesday. You, that makes no you, you sense. I last day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That makes no sense. I should clarify here. Not getting fired. Not <laughs> leaving the station. I feel like we have to do this because if we don't put the disclaimer... You're, uh, you're going on the vacation disclaimer, Going on vacation. I'll be out for a week. You guys enjoy yourselves while I'm out. What, what else is You're here on
4: Tuesday? Oh. Wait. It's next <laughs> no, week, no, man. It's the week we're f- yeah. at the Prospect Camp, which, by the way, B- became Ferrario broadcasting live from Blue's Prospect Camp.
3: Yeah, I won't be here. Uh, Cardinal well, second I'm not half edition. Showing up
5: next week now. <laughs>
3: Damn it! I'm going to be here on Wednesday next week. <laughs> oh, God, what is doing mean? What's Wednesday? Yeah, what's Wednesday. I just thought I was Tuesday. was my last day. It's not. No, you're here all week next week, big boy don't you ever call me that again better too. or worse cardinal second half edition now on tuesday we will officially be through the first half of the season so let's go through a few players few notable performers in the first half and uh position groups as well you guys tell me if you think they'll be better or worse in the second half than they were in the first let's start with dylan carlson who has been really heating up of late in the first half of the season he has a 260 batting average and a 740 ops earlier today alex i was reading over on the athletic and they had a really good piece that was actually put out by our friend eno saris who joined us earlier this week if you missed that conversation highly recommend checking out on the podcast page 101 ESPN.com the free 101 ESPN app is all presented by Dobbs Higher and Auto Centers he wrote about the players that have the biggest gain error percentage in the month of June compared to what they started out with in the first month of the season Dylan Carlson is on that list he was right up there with guys like Trey Turner and Joey Votto Matt Olson who have performed better and the explanation is pretty simple He stopped swinging at stuff that was low in the zone. He started swinging at stuff that is higher in the zone, and he's doing damage with it. So with that as the background, better or worse, Dylan Carlson in the second half of the season than he was in the first?
4: I'm going to say better. Because I think Dylan Carlson in the first half was injured. I don't think Dylan Carlson was right until this final few weeks of the regular season, or the final few weeks up until this point. So I think now you're getting a Dylan Carlson that's figured it out, that feels healthy, the shoulder is right, whatever it might be. So I think he's going to be better than this. I think you're going to be towing close to 300 batting average by the end of the season for Dylan.
5: I I do agree that I think he'll be better. I don't know about hitting 300. I, I said towing it. I'm sorry. Round up. Uh, I, I think he'll be a guy that can hit around that 270-280 mark, and I think you're really going to see more power from Dylan Carlson in the second it. half. Now he's, he, His slugging percentage is not a whole lot lower from what it was last year, uh, but I, I do think you'll see a little bit more power. I mean, he's got more power than a four-home run, so I, I think he'll finish around 270-280. He may climb up to that 15-20 to 20 home run mark. He finished with 18 last year. I expect he'll be close to that again this year i'm I'm with alex so i think the first half struggles was i don't know excuse me i'm not sure he got his timing right in spring training and then he got hurt and now he's finally starting to get the timing back and he's feeling healthy i think he has a good second half you guys
3: think he could hit 40 doubles this year he had 31 last year in 151 games so far this year is 16 in his first 59 he was hurt for a a decent portion of the first half of the season
4: i think 40 is going to be tough in that time frame but i think he could probably get to 30 again I think he might get to 40 just because, like, he's only played 60 games. I, I think but he gonna get to get to
5: 40. A, I think he'll surpass last year's 31. You're going to get to a close streak be close at some to point. 40. I, he'll get close to 40. You'd say I, toe the line to 40? No, I would round up to 40. <laughs> um, but I, I think he could get close to that. I, I think it just depends. Is, is his version of what I say more power going to be more home runs or is it just going to be doubles? That's why his slugging percentage is so close yeah. to what it was last year. He's, like, I think it's 17 points off uh from what it was last year that's because he's got more he's got he's got a good pace for doubles not so much the home runs it just depends on what's going to happen in the second half
3: yeah I think I would go better as well I think he finishes the year with like a 275 280 batting average and finishes with an OPS over 800 it's a really darn good season it's not what some were expecting out of Dylan Carlson but I think expectations were just out of whack with what he's going to be he's a really good baseball player all around he's a good base runner Really good defensively in right field. And oh, by the way, he can hit for a decent amount of power and average as well. He's very well-rounded. So I'm going to say he ends up having a better second second half than he did in the first. I think part of it, as you said, Alex, was just injuries just kind of derailed his first half of the season. Next one up, who has the better second half? I'm switching this up a little bit. Brendan Donovan or Juan Yepes? If you look at their OPS, they have basically been identical in the first half of the season in terms of what they were producing offensively. Who do you think has the better second half? Brendan Donovan or Juan Yepes? I think it's going to be Juan Yepes.
4: Oh, I'm sorry. Flip that. I think it's going to be Brendan Donovan because I think Brendan Donovan is going to be getting more playing time in the second half. Because once you get Tyler O'Neill back, once you get uh, Harrison Bader back, if they come back and pending any other injuries, I think Brendan Donovan is more likely to be that DH in games that Pujols isn't playing rather than Juan Yepes. I think Juan Yepes might become a, a sole bench bat once they're healthy in the second half. So I think Brendan Donovan.
5: Oh, man, that's that's tough because I kind of agree with your assessment on what happens to Yapes when everybody's healthy again. I, but You've got to keep Donovan's bat in the lineup, at least as of now, because he's playing really well. My question is then what do you do against right-handed pitching at DH? Do you go Gorman or do you go Yapes? And I know that they want to get Gorman's Gorman. I think Gorman's to
3: continue getting starts at second. He's been good enough defensively and that it, put, I don't feel like he's a liability. Put Donovan at the DH spot then? I think Donovan just gives everybody a day off. I think his. Tina I team think he's the ultimate role, platoon guy. Yeah, he's going to be what we talked about, Tommy Edmund potentially becoming. But Tommy Edmonds just too valuable. At and you think to is it. every
4: everyday DH? I think so. Okay, if that's it, the case. Then
3: I think you is.
5: Yeah, if we're going with that, because I was having a tough time figuring out what you're going to do, because you got to keep Donovan's bat in the lineup. There's no doubt about it. Uh, then I think I'm going Juan Pez. I think Don. Look, Donovan's still going to have a very good second half, but. He's hit into a little bit of luck. We've brought up his numbers before. He's got a high uh, batting average on balls in play. So the underlying numbers will tell you he's not going to hit 300 probably the rest of the year. But he is a guy that can probably hit 280, uh, 270, somewhere in that range. I think Lopez will have the better second half because we're seeing he's kind of coming to in terms of his power. I think he's going to show a little bit more power, have more home runs, and still hit for average. And if he's, Especially if he's going to be that everyday DH. So I think I'm going to say Juan Lopez. Is Juan
4: Yepez's playing time ghost hand in hand with Tyler O'Neill's ability to get back into form because if Tyler O'Neill isn't hitting and he comes back from this injury or he's slow to the if he's slow to get back to where you were at, don't you want Yepes'
3: bat in there more because he's the power bat that Tyler O'Neill is? See I don't think it's gonna be as hard as as we're leading on to get these guys everyday playing time. I think Juan Yepes is your designated hitter now. Hmm. Like that that guy hmm. should be playing unless you're going up against a left handed pitcher, in which case yes Albert's gonna be in the lineup as you as you're starting DH Against all of the righties, though, Juan Pez going to be out there as my DH. And then if you look in at, at what Brendan Donovan's role becomes, he's an everyday super utility player. On Monday, he's getting in right field for Dylan Carlson. On Tuesday, he's at second base to give Nolan Gorman a, a breather. On Wednesday, he's going to be at third base to give uh, Nolan Arnauto a day off. Maybe Nolan Arnauto starts that day at DH. On Thursday, he's going to be in, in left field to give Tyler O'Neill a day. Like, you can make this work where everybody ends up getting what is essentially everyday playing time, and then Brendan Donovan gets one day off per week. So mm-hmm. I, I think that he'll get plenty of playing time. I do believe, though, that Juan Lopez ends up having the better offensive second half because I think Juan Lopez is a better hitter than Brendan Donovan. The power that he has, especially that he's unlocked over the last two to three weeks. who baby. Juan Pez is a good player, man. If I was another team, like if you're the A's or the Marlins or one of these teams that the Cardinals are potentially going to be talking to as we get closer to the deadline, the guy I would be asking about is Juan Perez because I want that guy to be in my lineup because of the power that he potentially brings to us and the club control yeah. that the team has over him. All right, next one up. Better or worse second half than they were in the first half? Nolan Arenado. He had such an unbelievable start to the season. We all placed a bet on him to win MVP this year. That's probably why he's not going to win MVP this year. He had a 280 batting average. He's at an 835 OPS, which is very good. He right now has 3.5 wins above replacement. If you're not familiar with war, you don't really care about it. Basically, that's a a projection of the season of a seven wins above replacement year. He hasn't done that in a regular season since 2017. He's on pace for one of his best years in the last five. So he's been very good for the Cardinals. Do you think he is better or worse in the second half than he was in the first? Alex?
4: I think he's better because I think Nolan Arenado is a guy whose game takes that next step when you get closer to the playoffs. And I don't remember, but I thought he got better in the second half of the season last year also because the first half he was a little bit of a slow out of the gate. So I think Nolan Arenado is going to be better than this. I think the power starts to really show up more with Nolan Arenado in the second half.
5: I think I'm going to can I say around the same? Sure. I, I think he's going to be about what he was in the first it's not half. Not how the
4: game's played. Well, there's isn't better or worse or is, the same. This is
5: the first time we've played this game, so we can <laughs> add a new rule. Uh, I, I think I'm going to say he's going to be about the same. I, if you look, the one thing that is encouraging, and they still have, th- just did quick math here, I think they've got 41 home games left in the regular season. One thing that was a real like flashing red light for Nolan Arnada last year was he really struggled at Bush Stadium. He's adjusted to that. He's hitting for average now at home. He's hitting two eighty eight and he's got seven home runs, twenty four RBIs and an eight sixty four OPS at home. So That's he's really made good. the he's made the adjustment to playing at Bush Stadium. So you're saying there's
4: no course field stats anymore? No,
5: the course field stats just a Bunch of BS. Uh, but I, I think he's going to be about the same. I think this is what Nolan Arnato is as a St. Louis Cardinal. He's going to give you basically what you've seen so far in the first half. I, I don't see him really kind of taking that huge leap going forward. I, I think this is him. This is what you're going to see from Nolan Arnato this season.
3: I want to see if he's got another April in him. Because we've seen with Nolan Arnato when he gets hot, he can go like, Volcanic eruption hot. It, hot. It, it can be super impressive. And in the month of April, he had 75 at bats. He finished that month with a 375 at batting average and an eleven hundred OPS, which somehow is basically what Paul Goldschmidt has carried on for the rest of the season. Um, but he was outstanding in that month. If he can do that in either July, August, or September, and he can do it over the course of a full month. I think he could have a better second half than what he did in the first finish with like an 860, 870 OPS on the season finishes with a closer to a 290 batting average or so. I think that could be what he ends up with. I'm going to say he's slightly better in the second half than what he was in the first. Now there's slightly better option. He's better, better in the second half than he was in the first, even if I do think it will be close, air quotes slightly. All right. Last one here. (laughs) Better or worse in the second half? The Cardinals rotation and the first half. I know we've talked about how much this team needs a starter, man. They had a 3.8 ERA from their pitch from their starting rotation. in The first half of the season. That was the fifth best in the National League over the first half of the season. Do you think they will be better or worse than that in the second half?
4: All right, here comes Captain Buzzkill. I think they're going to be worse than this in the second half. I actually agree with
3: you, even if they do add another starter. Yeah,
4: I I think you're going to get Jack Flaherty back, and uh, you don't know what that is going to possess. And I'm not trying to be cruel, but Stephen Matz had his good days, and he had his bad games. And I don't think this can continue with Andre Pallante. You're going to have Matthew Libertor for a few starts now. And I don't. I think Miles Michaelis is the one that can sustain what he has done in the first half. Other than that, I think everyone else dips off a little bit.
5: See, I think the rotation is going to be the same or slightly better. Uh, that, said I said
4: better. I, yeah. No, slightly better. Which I didn't think there was a rule on this. Air quotes slightly New better. New
5: game. Uh, but I, I think they will be. Better, because I think there are going to come reinforcements, whether it be Steven Matts is right and has better games than he did when he was healthy. That's Or or Jack Flaherty gets back to being right. Or they just go and add a reinforcement when it comes to the rotation at the trade deadline. And if you look at the second half of their schedule, the second half is a lot easier. They do play the Cubs and the Reds a lot in the second half. they still got some of the bad teams that are in the other divisions, like Washington. They've got them in the second half. Arizona as well. Colorado. Uh, I, I think that the pitching will benefit from the schedule getting a little bit weaker in the second half and i think the cardinals are going to bolster this rotation at the deadline so i'm actually going to go it's going to be better
3: you know it's interesting for all the talk that we have about the cardinals rotation you look at the numbers and if you look nothing more than at the eras which is a bad way to go about it with pitching i understand that but if you just did that miles michael is 2.6 era in the first half adam wainwright 3.1 dakota hudson 3.8 andre palante 2.1 if you told me before the season that that would be your top four in the rotation, it's just those numbers. Just the top four would be these ERAs. I said, "Hot, Whew. yeah, I'm in. Sign me up." What does that look like? And I would have assumed that probably the 2.1 ERA would come from Jack Flaherty and not, you know, Andre Pallante. I would have assumed it was from Dakota Hudson. But that's really, really good, and so that's why I'm going with a. They're going to be slightly worse in the second half of the season.
5: Can I give you one here, just real quick? Sure. What? Will the catching production be better in the second half? It can't
3: half? be worse, so we're <laughs> going to go to the next thing. 65780 oh, is the air comfort service tax line. But <laughs> you're coming wrong. Coming up in about 15 minutes or yeah. so. ESPN ranked every NFL team based on how much talent they have on the full roster. You're going to be surprised by where some of these teams stand. We'll tell you who's overrated and underrated going into this year based on these talent rankings. But coming up next, a segment that we like to call Let's Do Math on the Radio. Oh, boy. We'll tell you how the Blues can afford Ryan McDonough next year on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll tell you which NFL teams are overrated and which ones are underrated. Kansas City Chiefs. That's true. Based yeah. on their talent currently. So we'll get into that coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But first, Alex, we got to do some math.
2: Math is a wonderful thing. Math is a really cool thing. So get off your ass, let's do some math. math. Math, 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 All
4: right,
3: let's start right now. All right, so let's do some some blues cap math. Because yesterday, people got mad at us. Alex, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news for you. People got mad at us for even broaching the idea
5: Doesn't
3: sound like of it. talking I, about Ryan McDonough. I was
5: personally
4: attacked with my intelligence and looks over my Ryan McDonough thought. And I'm going to be honest with you.
3: I went home yesterday and I thought to myself, damn, are we that stupid? And are we I as cried. dumb as people are making us out to be? The answer is probably yes, <laughs> but not on this particular subject. I don't know why they called me ugly for and this. And then I tried doing math and it took me about an hour because I messed it up seven different times <laughs> yeah. and talked to you guys about it. We worked through it and we all got there eventually. Math. So here were some of the givens that I had to put as the, okay, what are the blues going to do? I said that they're going to sign David Perron for $4 million. That feels, based on all of the reports, like what it's going to take to get him. I said, okay, they're going to bring in a fourth liner of some kind, whether it's somebody that's in the system already or somebody elsewhere, for about a million bucks. That's kind of the veteran minimum. Maybe it's a Paul Stastny, uh, whoever it ends up being. Somewhere around that feels right. million bucks for Mikla, about $750,000 for Perunovic. He was hurt most of the season. He's He's not going to get a whole lot more. They'll renew him. And then a million dollars for the backup goalie. That's what I put in here as, okay, this is what they have to do to be able to fill out the rest of the roster. And that takes their cap sitting at? So, based on that... If you didn't have anybody else that's already added to the roster. So they run it
4: back with Perron, with the RFAs. They sign a fourth liner. They sign a backup goaltender
3: all to the $1 million range. you got $1.6 million to work with. And that is not how you get Ryan McDonough. It is not.
0: Come on. But we
3: knew that. We knew they were going to have to make some sacrifices,
0: right?
4: you're also not getting Nick Letty with that either. You're not getting a defenseman playing with
3: Colton Pareko with $1.6 million. Correct. You're not adding anything in this scenario. But if... You end up removing Ivan Barbashev from the roster, which is almost certainly gonna have to happen if they make some significant addition.
4: And let's break that down because I know people hear Ivan Barbashev and they panic. This is one of those things, like you mentioned. If you want a Chikrin, you're gonna have to do that. If you want to sign Nick Letty, you're gonna have to move somebody. And you're also moving a player that if you're a front office executive, you look at it and say, Okay, he just scored twenty five plus goals in a season. Are we going to get that from him again? And this is also a player who's going to look at it in
3: free agency next year and say, I want four plus mil. So here's the thing. If you do nothing else and you get rid of Ivan Barbashev and you just look at the rest of the roster as is and you add in, like I said, that fourth liner for about a million dollars. You've got Jake neighbors that takes that spot of Barbashev or somebody else internally that's on the minimum deal. You can then add Jacob Chikrin. You just make it work. It it works perfectly in terms of where you're at with the cap. You have twenty five thousand dollars to spare, in fact. So you can make it work. With Jacob Chikrin at his $4.6 million cap hit. Now, that being said, if you want to make it work with, as we mentioned, Ryan McDonough, you still don't have enough money at that point in time. You would be over the cap by a couple million dollars. So what do you have to do? Boom. We got to move Marco Scandella's deal out. I don't know how they're going to do that. I don't know if that you could do it with a buyout. You can make it work if you buy out Marco Scandella but Then it hurts your cap the for next future years. couple of seasons. And the bigger issue for the Blues, we'll get to this, is future years than it is necessarily in 2022.
4: I, I, it's possible to move Marco Scandella. Like, it's not impossible to move Marco Scandella. The problem becomes, one, he's got a modified no trade clause, which I believe that's a 17 no trade list that he can offer. And if a team that he wants to go to, which I would imagine if you're Marco Scandelli, you're either wanting to go home, close to home, but you just played for Montreal, or you're wanting to be traded to a playoff contender. You're going to have to attach a draft pick yep. to it. But it's not the worst thing in the world if you're getting rid of that money and uh, adding a significant better defenseman
3: yeah so you're in a you're in a good spot there if you're able to get rid of marco scandela and ivan barbachev the way that it works based on the money you would have then about four hundred thousand dollars left to spare and the defenseman that we're talking about specifically i should mention is ryan mcdonough six point 7, seven five million dollars now i should also add this makes future years more difficult because you don't have just Ryan McDonough this year at six point seven five million dollars. You've also got him on that for the next four seasons. So this year and then three years after and the money starts getting really tight. If you think that you're going to re-sign Jordan Cairo to a sizable extension, Robert Thomas to a sizable extension, you cannot in this scenario bring back Vladimir Tarasenko you're going to have to come to terms right now with the fact that he will not return in 2023. That is something that up front, they have to make the decision on today, basically, or in the next week, if they were to trade for Ryan McDonough at his full salary. So that's where you're at if you want to get Ryan McDonough. Based on the math that we just did, again, it can work. It makes it difficult in future years, but for this season, you can do it. And in future years, it just gets tough. You can't bring back Vladimir Tarasenko and unless you get creative with other moves that you make, you cannot sign Matthew Kachuk next offseason if you were to do this. Is that worth it to you, Alex? Uh, uh,
4: unless I can get Jacob Chikrin and not have to sell the farm, it's worth it. Because I think in terms of future standards, if you're Doug Armstrong, Chikrin makes more sense because if you're not a, you're not hurting the next couple of years, you still can lock up the players that you need to. You can still chase a Matthew Kachuk, although that's going to be tight as well. But you're also selling a lot more to get Jacob Chikrin than what you're going to have to give up with Ryan McDonough. And in the scenario we talked with uh, Eric er- in- in- Erlinson. Erlinson thank you. In that scenario, you're also potentially trading Aniko Mikola to tampa which opens up a million dollars
3: yeah but you're gonna have to replace that with somebody else that's gonna be at seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, so it doesn't really actually open up any cap space
4: right but you have to have
3: that you're gonna use that roster spot for
4: somebody but callie rosen and scott Perunovich, in this circumstance
3: were already on that roster at the 750 but you only count one of them because of the number of guys that are on the roster like callie rosen's got the two-way deal so the way that it works you uh, you basically would open up two hundred thousand dollars which that ain't going to help you with Vladimir Tarasenko or Matthew Kachuk or anything like that.
4: And if if you're telling me right now, here's the situation you're in. You can get Chikrin and probably lose Bullduke, couple of draft picks, maybe Barbashev, probably Barbashev. Yeah. Or you can get Ryan McDonough. It's going to be tight. Can't get Matthew Kachuk in the future. But your roster is intact and you get a guy who makes you a Stanley Cup contender, in my opinion. I don't know if Matthew Kachuk is a real possibility. As much as I want to believe it is, there's a lot of other factors that come into that. I know for a fact that I'm getting a top-pairing left-side defenseman to play with Colton Pareco and my top 4D is going to be very good for the next three years. Regardless of what people think of, oh, he's an aging defenseman, doesn't matter. The guy has been elite his entire career, and he's going to continue that pace. So yeah, I think it would be worth it. If you can make this trade work.
5: Yeah. And the thing for me, it comes down, as you were mentioning, kind of that cost for chicken. If I have to sell a farm, then no, I'm not willing to do that. Even though it works a little bit nicer and then can things are a little bit easier the following seasons, because it is a little bit lower of a cap hit. The thing for me with the McDonough thing is I, I think I can settle on the fact of the matter that I'm willing to admit now that I'm parting ways with Vladdy at the end of next year and the potential that or not the potential. And I'm not getting Matthew good because look though it's tougher, you can still make a Cairo extension work. You can still make a uh, Thomas extension work. You're still going to have pretty good depth moving forward in terms of for the Blues. You should still have a very solid top six in terms of when you look at their forward depth, even with McDonough on the books. So I I think if you can make it happen and it costs less to go get the Ryan McDonough, I think you do it because if you take a look at what the Western Conference looks like, and I get it, GMs don't view it this way. They don't go with, well, I want to go year by year. They're thinking three, five, even potentially just ten years down the line. If you look at what the Western Conference is going to be next year, we've talked about it. Colorado cannot retain everybody, so they're going to take a little bit of a step back. They're still going to be very good, but they're going to take a step back. And then you take a look at the Pacific Division. I don't know if there's anybody in the Pacific Division that really scares me. Look, we've seen Edmonton. They've got to find goaltending. Probably. going have Ryan find McDonough on my team. Yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna have the uh they're not gonna find the goaltender, I don't think, on this market. We've talked about the market. The market's just kind of average at best, if you want to say it that way. And then you look at Calgary, they're gonna take a step back. It on what happens with Goudreau and if they have to move uh, Matthew Kachuk. And the rest of the Central Division doesn't really scare me. Dallas doesn't put fear into my heart. Chicago doesn't scare me. We know Arizona's bad. You look at Minnesota, they're going to start taking steps back. They just moved on from Fiala. I mean, you acquire McDonough, you're arguably, if not the best team in the West, right there at the top with potentially Colorado, depending on what they do.
4: We got a text from the 314, which I figured we were going to get this, and it says, no way on McDonough would be way too much money tied up on defense. So I did math last night as well, BK. Math as a group. If you were to make the trade for Ryan McDonough and you get Marco Scandella off of the books, you've got $26.25 million tied up in four defensemen. There are eight teams in the National Hockey League going into next season that have $22 million or more tied up in their top four defense. You want to know what the teams are? San Jose. Which isn't pretty. That's that's just ugly. They got twenty seven mil.
3: You have Brent Burns on that deal. Nothing you can
4: do. And about Eric it Carlson, and eleven point five million dollars. Colorado at twenty four point one. Vancouver at twenty three. The Rangers at twenty three. The Blues would be twenty six point two five. Edmonton at twenty two and a half. Boston at twenty two. Winnipeg at twenty two.
3: And it actually ends up being even more significant than that because, like Vegas, you look at what they have currently on the roster. They're going to have to even spend a little bit more than that because your boy is going to get paid yep. this off season. What Nick? Uh, Haig. Haig. So even like what you're you're talking about right there, that's before they spend this Mm offseason. That's before they give any of these restricted free agents that are currently on their team a new contract. That is just the actual projections as of today before making any moves. Five of these eight teams are playoff caliber teams. What the Blues are potentially going to be paying for their blue line is what contenders pay for their blue line. I know it's different than what we've seen from the Blues in recent seasons. The money is not as spread out. It is going to be more top-heavy than what the Blues had been previously. But, man, you look around the NHL, like, look at what Toronto, how they're made up. Look at the way that Calgary could potentially have to be made up after the season. They're doing it for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's because it works. You look at what uh, Colorado's eventually going to be. Man, they're going to be paying a lot of money to, like, four guys. And I would absolutely love to have that situation. You look at what Tampa has right now. They're going to pay a lot of money over the next three, five plus years for like five different dudes. Why? Because they're franchise caliber players. So you're getting slightly below that with guys like Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Shan, Pavel Buchnevich, Justin Falk, Tory Krug, Colton Pareko. And then if you end up bringing in Ryan McDonough. But you're doing that for a reason. It's because they're really good players that you want to have long-term. Now, the back end of this deal, if anybody said to me, hey, BK, I'm not just thinking about 2022, I'm also thinking about 2024 and 2025. I'm going to be totally up front. Those years are probably going to hurt. Like Ryan McDonough will not be the same player in those seasons that he is this upcoming year. I'm willing to take on that risk. The reason why is because of what Tanner said. I'm trying to win a cup, man. It's hard to do, and you're in a window right now at the back end of the prime of Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko and Braden Shin, Brandon Saad, David Perron. I want to win now, and if Ryan McDonough is my path to doing so because there's not a whole lot of other options for your left-handed defense, then that's what I got to do. I'll take on two potential bad years of contracts at the back end of his deal. By the way, it's not guaranteed. It might be okay at the back end. He may age like a David Perron has. But it's possible it goes bad. I'm willing to take on that risk in order to do this. And by the way, earlier today, the last thing here, uh, when we talked to Eric Erlinson earlier today, he did mention that if the Lightning were able to, t- to get a solid defenseman, a young defenseman who's cost controlled in return, maybe they would be willing to eat some of this deal. So it's also possible that you end up not having to take on the full freight of that $6.75 million. Also, if you decide to explore this option, because other teams
4: have done this, heck, Tampa did this to get Ryan McDonough. You in, you involve a third-party team, because maybe you don't got to give up a first-round pick to get Ryan McDonough. Maybe you just got to give up a Scott Perunovich to get a, a Ryan McDonough, but you can involve a team like Columbus or Arizona or Boston or Buffalo, sorry, and you trade over that first-round pick for them to eat some of that salary. What What would you rather have? a player at 23rd overall who might be good, might be traded
3: or Ryan McDonough, who you know is going to be good. And you get $2 million off of that cap. Hit. Let's stick on this on the other side, Alex, because we do have a lot of reaction coming in. Six, five, seven, eight O is the air comfort service text line. What do you think about this possibility? Because Ryan McDonough, as we talked about earlier with Eric, Erlinson, It's probably going to happen within the next week. By the time that the 4th of July holiday is over, we're going to be in prime trade season with the NHL draft now six days away. Would you want the Blues to make a deal where it is maybe it's a Perunovic plus a first round pick and the Lightning are able to take on two million bucks or something like that for the deal? Or maybe it's just Perunovic straight up for a guy like a Ryan McDonough. Would you be in on that? How do you feel about the cap situation if they were to make a move for like that? We'll talk about it next. Hear from you. 65780 is here comfort for service text line here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
6: I've been told there's a lot of interest. I mean, who wouldn't want Ryan McDonough? Mm -hmm. One of the teams I think is there is potentially St. Louis. It makes a lot of sense. They're looking for a top 4-D. It fits with them. That's the kind of player Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube would love. I don't know if he ends up there, but it's one of the teams I've immediately started thinking about.
3: That was Elliot Friedman who, I mean, along with Darren Drager, Probably Kevin Weeks you could throw into this mix as well, or the top insiders in the NHL. That was him on his 32 Thoughts podcast talking about the possibility of where he thinks Ryan McDonough can go. Now, Alex, I do think it is worth mentioning, uh, we listened to the whole excerpt of him talking about Ryan McDonough. The Blues were the only team he mentioned as potentially being a good fit for him. Now, he, he said wasn't they were the reporting, first team that brought him up. He wasn't reporting that the Blues have talked to the lightning about Ryan McDonough, but the first team that popped into his head of a team that would be interested in McDonough was the St. Louis Blues. And typically, uh, there's some background that goes into these sorts of things, just right. the way that the sausage is made. That's that is worth noting from Elliot Friedman. By the way, he's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We we're just talking about this in the last segment, but. Ryan McDonough, if you aren't familiar with his work, he's a two-time Stanley Cup winner with Tampa Bay. He was previously the captain for the New York Rangers. He's now an assistant captain for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He was a guy that earlier we talked to Eric Erlinson, who covers the Tampa Bay Lightning, has covered that team for 22 years. He voted for him uh, as the Conn Smythe winner last year in their run to the Cup. So he's a really, really good player. He has never
4: missed the playoffs. Think about that for a minute. He has never missed the playoffs.
3: And every season in which he has played, he's been a positive on the ice. He has yep. never had a negative in terms of his plus minus. And I, never looked, a season.
4: and I looked this up because I wanted to. And also, I understand people don't believe in the plus minus, but you compare Ryan McDonough to Alex Petrangelo's career. McDonough's played two years less than Petrangelo in the regular season. McDonough is a plus 111 better than Alex Petrangelo in his career in the regular season. He's now, a really again, good player. Whatever you want to say about the plus minus, but why I brought that up is Petrangelo was a player that nobody wanted to lose because he was a guy that had a lot of success, but he got eight plus million dollars. You're talking about a comp to Alex Petrangelo for $6.75 million. Yeah,
3: th- this is a guy that would immediately come in and be among your best players. That That's what we're talking about here. So why not just immediately make this deal? Well, money. Money is always the the holdup for something like this. He's making $6.75 million, not just for this year, but for the next four seasons. And that's why the Lightning is even considering moving on from him because they love him. The locker room loves him. He's a guy that has put everything on the line for the team in their last three runs to the Stanley Cup final. And unfortunately, the team's getting more expensive because with success comes players that need to get paid. And he is on the backside of 30. So 33 year old, four years left at $6.75 million. He's the guy that they've got to move to be able to create cap space for other guys. Now, what would it take? Some, somebody on the tax line, six, five, seven, eight O is the Air comfort service tax line. We've had a number of people say, what would it take to acquire him? That's where it's hard to know because it depends on what they're prioritizing with the Tampa Bay lightning. Are they prioritizing moving the entirety of that contract off of the books? If they are, they're not going to get much, honestly, because another team's going to have to take on a lot of risk. If they're not prioritizing that, like it may be just a first round pick, maybe even less than that. Honestly, if it's, if they are willing to take on some of the salary though, maybe it ends up costing you more, but regardless of what it ends up being, I do not think it's going to come anywhere close to the cost to acquire a Jacob Chikrin. So when you're putting these two deals on the board, like you and me are Doug Armstrong and his assistants in, in the room together, right? Okay. On one hand, we've got Jacob Chikrin. He's what twenty-three years old. Mm -hmm. He's making four point six million dollars for the next three years. He's cost-controlled. We believe there is more upside here. And by the way, he is really skilled offensively. He is where the league is going. He's a puck mover. He can score. He's a really good player. But it's going to cost us a first-round pick, Matthew Bolduke. We're going to have to include Ivan Barbashev in this deal, and maybe more. On the other hand, we got a thirty-three-year-old. He's a proven contender. He's a Cup player. He is a winning player. He's been a captain. He's been an assistant captain. He's good in the locker room. He's $6.75 million. So he's going to cost us more in terms of money, but he's going to cost us a lot less in terms of what we give up for him. Maybe it is just, let's say it's just the first round pick. Now, where do we go? And that's what they're having to decide right now inside of that room as as they're having these negotiations, what makes more sense for us both now and, and in future years, where do you fall on that, Alex? This is, And they are getting a ton of text on the Air Comfort
4: Service text line 65780, and I've gotten a couple of tweets as well and said, why would you take a guy that goes to 37 years old at 6.75 mil when Jacob Chikrin is a better price and more attainable? Let's go down this path. If you think Jacob Chikrin is the better acquisition over Ryan McDonough because of cost... Which is a reasonable argument to make. Absolutely. You're giving up. And if you're fine with this... Then, then by all means, this trade would work. But from what Frank Saravali has reported, on Arizona's asking price is a top level prospect. So you're talking Bull Duke or neighbors, an NHL proven player. I don't know who that is. Probably we've, Barbie. We've speculated Barbashev, but maybe they go into it and say, "Not nah, we want Cairo. Then the negotiations are off. A first round draft pick. And then another prospect level player. So maybe a Scott Perunovich. Are you willing to give up Perunovich, Bull Duke, NHL proven player and multiple picks for Jacob Chikrin? Because if you are, then by all means, Jacob Chikrin makes sense for the cap problems, but you're at most giving up Tampa, a first round pick for Ryan McDonough. And if you want them to eat salary cap, maybe you're throwing in a Scott Perunovich. To me, Getting a guy who has won two Cups, has never missed the playoffs, and is a proven leader and a hard-blue-nosed-collar type of player. Hard-nosed-blue-collar type of player. I don't know what the hell just happened there. If I can get that for a Scott Perunovic and a first-round pick, which, again, this is pure speculation, but we're going off of what we've what we've talked about with insiders. Or i got to give up everything to get a guy who has not been in the playoffs with his team, is 23 years old, still looks like a top-pairing defenseman, but I'm giving up an awful lot for that player. I think I would lean towards the guy who's got proven Stanley Cup pedigree, regardless if he's $6.75 million. And I understand people are saying he's in his late 30s. He's not going to maintain like guys like Jay bomeister did. Maybe that's true. But a lot of people wanted to give Alex Petrangelo the eight-year contract that would have taken him to 36-37. This is a very similar situation. I just... You can sit there and wonder about him being 37 years old and making $6.5 million, but if he wins a cup or two cups in the next three years, I don't really know if that's that much of an issue.
3: Let's get to a few of these texts. We'll do this quick hitter style from the 636. Guys, Letty wouldn't cost you anything off of the roster. You're making this more difficult than it needs to be. They should just re-sign Nick Letty and be done with it. He could be the answer for their top pairing defensive Uh, uh, left-handed player. That does cost you. You're
4: still trading Ivan Barbashev and trying... For and, Nick Letty? Well, yeah, because if you got to get him for $5 million, oh, you're going to have to trade away an Ivan Barbashev and you're going to have to find a way to get rid of Marco Scandella. So it's still costing you what you're probably going to be giving up to get Chikrin, slash McDonough, slash any defenseman
3: that you want to get. Yeah. So let's see, money-wise, the way that it would work is you would have to remove $3.4 million-ish. like Basically, closer to like... bucks actually, is the way that you would make it work if you were to acquire uh, Nick Letty on a $5 million deal. So you're talking about probably having to remove Ivan Barbashev from from the roster.
4: I I mean, no matter what defenseman you want to sign, you're getting rid of one of... Or maybe both Ivan Barbashev and Marco Scandella, because you can't. You're un, other than you're just running it back with the defense
3: without Nick Letty. Scandella, the only way you have to get rid of him is if you play. If you pay more than five million dollars, if you pay more than five million dollars for a defenseman, you have to get rid of both Barbie and Scandella.
4: But if you want to, if you want a defenseman. And you get rid of Barbashev, you're getting Jacob Chikrin type. But Nick Letty's been reported to want $5 million per year. That's going to require Scandella. And if you don't want to get rid of Barbashev, well, then you're signing a defenseman for less than $1.5 million.
3: We also got this from the 618. Guys, is he better than Nick Letty? Yes.
4: I mean, he's never missed the playoffs. He led the, the New York Rangers to a Stanley Cup final. He's been one of the top players on Tampa Bay, including Victor Hedman on the defensive side for the last three years. I mean, Nick Letty was playing with the Detroit Red Wings last season. So, uh, yeah, Ryan McDonough is a better player.
3: From the 636, if you get him, don't you definitely guarantee that you're losing Tarasenko? And if so, I don't think that's worth it. How do you guys feel about it? Are you
4: guaranteed to have Vladimir Tarasenko after this season? No. I, I mean... If 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 what Vladdy has said is true, maybe he's going to play out the rest of this contract and then he gets to decide where he wants to go. And Vladdy's not going to make $7.5 million next season with the Blues. One, because I don't think Doug would pay that to him. And two, he's probably going to get less than that because he is older. So I don't know if it's a guarantee you've got Vladimir Tarasenko next year.
3: I think that's totally fair, fair way to look at but it. That's why you've got
4: Cairo and that's why you've got neighbors. And in this circumstance to
3: get a McDonough, you still have the Zachary Bull Dukes. Listen, the reality is next year, there's a lot of things that are up in the air right now. You don't have as of right now, Ryan O'Reilly, Vladimir Tarasenko, re-signed long term. Coming up next year, you'll have RFA rights on Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. So you'll need to have, have to figure out what the deal looks like for them. Uh, if you don't end up getting a long term answer as you're fourth left-handed defenseman, or four, the, the top, last of your top four defensemen. You're going to have to figure that out again. We don't know right now who their backup goalie is going to be this year or next. Like, you've got a lot of stuff that's up in the air next year. Let's worry about that next year. <laughs> like they, I I trust Doug Armstrong enough that he could maneuver those issues that are potentially on the other side of the 2022 season. Right now, Doug Armstrong wants to win a Stanley Cup. This is more or less the end of... Of that window they talked about when they started this five-year stretch of Stanley Cup contention. Go put another cup on the board. Go raise another banner. Yeah. The way you do that is by getting one of Chikrin or McDonough. Those are guys that are winning players for this team right now. It's going to cost either money or prospects. Those are their choices right now. you got to decide
4: as a Blues fan what you want to see give up.
3: A lot of prospects
4: or A draft pick for a guy and someone asked this question before we close it out BK and I'm curious you and T-Bone 636 if Ryan McDonough was on this team last season do you guys honestly think the Blues would have beaten the Avalanche and moved on to the cup final
3: I mean if there's so many there's so many hypotheticals here because what happens in that case with Jordan Bennington, Bennington like is Jordan Bennington playing I I think that they are a better team last year with him than they were with Nick Letty. So could they potentially end up winning that last game? They don't end up giving up that goal right at the end of regular like maybe maybe I, I don't know, though, there's so much that changes if you add him to this mix. So my answer is probably no, because Jordan Bennington goes down. And I think that's what ultimately lost you that game in, in the Stanley Cup playoffs with the with the abs, but they would have been better. They would have been better with Ryan McDonough than they were with Nick Letty.
4: Yeah. I personally think that they would have beaten Colorado in that series because I think Ryan McDonough is a is a difference,
5: a, a game changer when he's on the ice. I, I just think it's kind of the, it's tough to tell because of the injuries, but I, I think Colorado was just clearly the best team yeah. in the NHL last year. And that's why I think if you're going to do this move, this is the year to do it because we've talked about it. I, I do think Colorado takes a step back next year. I'm not saying they drop back to being like a team that barely gets in the playoffs, but I do think they take a step back. And They're I think not it's. The Notice, I think it's going to be a noticeable step back. Yep. So I think that's why you make the move. I, in terms of last year, I'm, I'm still not sure the Blues would have won with McDonough.
3: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the
2: P.K. and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. A junk drawer with BK and Ferrario.
0: Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today.
3: We talked about a proposal the other day in the junk drawer with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. I want to talk about another proposal that went wrong you guys seen this wrong. story? It was a
5: success story.
3: About the gentleman that was... When did we talk about a proposal? Oh, well, marriage,
4: pr- marriage proposal. thought we were talking trade proposals. <laughs> <laughs> nope, junk drawer.
3: Sorry. Uh, a a week, man a tried to propose to his, of course, then girlfriend, hopefully now fiance. We'll see if they end up staying together. Probably not for the way this is going. This gentleman is 26 years old. He proposed to his girlfriend. Her name was Jerry. She's 23. And he did so on a dock. Was next to a lake Sitting on the dock of the bay He paid $1,200 for the engagement ring What? Unfortunately As oh, he got down on his knee He was of course nervous Shaking a little bit Tell me he fell in He did not The ring did? The ring falls through the crack mm. in the dock Goes straight into the lake Boy I hope he had bounced insurance Bounced a couple of times And then fell between the gaps of the decking Hmm Alex, I'm not sure I have ever had more of those or I could ever have more of one of those want to get away moments that we used to see on the Southwest commercials than this. Oh, buddy. Can you imagine you're proposing to your girlfriend and then you drop the ring and it falls into the bottom of the lake? That's why you're single. No,
4: sir. That's why you don't propose on the dock of a lake because of that moment. There's two things that happen in this situation. The ring goes in the water. I'm thinking... Did I have insurance on it? And then I'm thinking, where is the nearest diving store to go buy a scuba gear so I can go find that damn ring? Because that's the only way you're getting it back. Unless a fish ate it, then you're in
3: trouble. They were able to find it the next day in the lake. It went down, and he said he he, he called a bunch of his friends. So it was, it was by the it was just eight by shoreline. So it wasn't super far away. <laughs> but yeah, they they basically were like at the bottom of the lake, just like feeling around and trying to find the ring.
5: Anything down there? No oh, chance. They couldn't suck. find
3: it that day. He said, "Quote, she said when I dropped it, tell me that wasn't what I thought it was." I told her, "Yes, it was." And she said, "Why? Well, I'm, I'm not really say sorry." Yes. She said she didn't want to look at me or even open her eyes any longer. Does that mean she's not. She didn't. Oh, wait, she did. Still it so yes. she
4: was mad at him for dropping it? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. My wife, <laughs> wait, my wife wait, would not. Wait. No, 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 no. There's no way my my wife would have been mad at me for that. I think she, she would have been. been upset. Oh, I think but she she's been not mad. getting mad at me about oh. that. That's a
3: mistake. It's not like he threw it into the water on purpose. I. Not only would. Do I think that my girlfriend at the time Should have been mad at me I Nobody would have been more mad about the situation Than I would have been Understandable, (laughs) but why
4: would somebody be mad at you? It was a mistake, you dropped it Yeah, if I get into a It's
5: It's not not like you
4: you said Will you marry me, and then she said yes And I said, ha ha ha, and
3: chucked it in the water I mean, sometimes car accidents happen That are just legitimate accident. Yeah, but your wife wouldn't get mad at you because of the car accident. Marshawn Lynch She might, because now we have to pay for the car accident. That was your dumb fault. (laughs) You should be mad at
5: yourself. Marshawn Lynch is still mad at Russell Wilson for throwing that pick on the goal line. So that's essentially the same thing.
4: Rightfully so, but that was the coach's decision. This Uh, was an accident. Can you imagine? Maybe maybe the girl wanted to be proposed to on a lake dock, so if anything,
3: it's her fault. (laughs) Yeah, tell her that. Yeah, imagine if you said that to your wife. I would not, because I love my wife. <laughs> you would never. <laughs> With Alex Rario, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, I would never marry someone who fumbles. That's mean. I want to hear your Rhino Shield mic drops. Same. Oh, you're opening this up. How do you feel about the Blues and their cap situation right now? When it comes to a, uh, improving the blue line, because I understand everybody wants Jacob Chikrin. I get it. He's a fun player. He's young. He's cheap. He's cost controlled. It ain't like you're getting him for free either. So how do you feel like the blues should go about improving their left-handed defenseman right now? Do you want it to be Ryan McDonough? Do you want it to be Jacob Chikrin? Do you want them to go out to the free agent market and bring back Nick Letty? Whatever it is that you want them to do, tell us. We'll get to that coming up in 15 minutes. Kyle Reese is a Cardinals prospect writer. I don't think there's anybody that knows the system outside of the Cardinals organization better than he does. I want to ask him about one Cardinals pitcher in the system that's in double A right now, Alex, that Tanner's going to see this weekend, who I think could be up before the end of the season. We'll talk about him next year on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: And you are on Twitter. You've probably seen Kyle Reese's work. He's at Kyler416 on Twitter. You can also find his work over at Birds on the Black. He joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Kyle, we appreciate the time, man. Always enjoy seeing your work over on Twitter and what you're able to do when it comes to writing up all of the prospects in the Cardinals organization. As somebody who's seen all of these guys for years now, that have come up and produced at the big league level. Are you surprised at all the way that many of us are at what they've been able to produce since coming up?
7: First off, I just want to say it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to talk with you guys. I really appreciate it. But uh, you know, to answer your question, yeah, I think I think there's some guys that are a little bit more surprising than others. Uh, I, I didn't know that. I didn't necessarily think Andre Pallante would be as ready to be uh, a contributor the way that he has. But yeah, when you think a uh, All the games, all the at-bats that I've watched out of Brendan Donovan and Juan Yepes, especially since 2019, both of those guys started taking a positive step forward. In 2019, they started becoming a little bit more professional and a little bit more deliberate um, in in their baseball actions. And I I would say that I'm a little less surprised, a little less shocked by some of the success specifically that Yepes and Donovan are having. But uh, I think it says more about the Cardinals scouting staff and their player development Uh, about how ready these players are to make a major league impact when it's time for them to be called on. Uh,
4: Kyle, you know how Cardinals fans are. When it gets close, anywhere near the trade deadline, they're already talking about ways that they can improve the roster. And so many people, including us, have talked about finding starting pitching. But the problem is you're going to have to give up a lot to get something of value. When you look at the Cardinals' prospects, when it comes to their top prospects, maybe on the major league roster, not on the major league roster, are there untouchables in your eyes?
7: Uh, you know, absolutely. The Cardinals. I guess the last time they traded one of their top prospects, or like real top prospects, it probably would have been Brett Wallace. So I would suspect, you know, the guys who are already at the major league level who are making making an impact. I would suspect that Nolan Gorman, uh, you know, Brendan Donovan Juan Yepes might be a little bit different, but especially how valuable Donovan is, I would suspect that he is he's you know kind of untouchable. But when you get to kind of the prospects, the guys who have not made a major league debut, like. They're not going to trade Jordan Walker. They're not going to trade Mason Wynn. Uh, I would suspect, you know, knowing what I know about the Cardinals and how they operate, I, I would suspect that Gordon Graceffo is probably untouchable. Michael McGreevy is untouchable. Um, they, they've done well to hold on to their depth. You know, it's been frustrating for Cardinal fans for years now, especially at the trade deadline, you know, dating back to like 2018, where there's been a lot of inactivity. Uh, they They've been successful. They've been able to maintain their success by holding on to this depth. Uh, even, even though it's frustrating and even though that means some guys don't get the opportunity they deserve until some of their, their prospect, uh, levels have been diminished. So yeah, I, I do. I, I, think that there's some guys, but I, that are untouchable, but I also think that they're very creative about using players in the system to get, uh, incremental help, uh, from other organizations.
3: So, Kyle, you mentioned Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker, Michael McGreevy, the guys that have already made it to the big league roster. Cardinals fans are familiar with most of those guys because they were top prospects, top uh, picks in recent years. The one you mentioned that I did want to ask you about is Gordon Grisefo because he's down in double A right now. He's doing very well. He was unbelievable in Peoria. If you just look at the numbers, he had a sub one ERA. The strikeout numbers are are pretty impressive. He walks nobody It seems like there are some rumblings around the Cardinals for people that are very close to the team that he might even get a call up before the end of this year. He might be the type of guy that ends up getting called up from double A. You watch him far more than any of us have. A, do you think he would be prepared for that? And B, what kind of a pitcher is Gordon Graceffo for any of the Cardinals fans that are listening right now that aren't familiar with him?
7: If you were to go back a year ago, and we were talk, having the conversation about Andre Pallante, uh, what I would tell you is he's just Pallante is just not quite there yet. He still needs polish. Uh, when I use Pallante as my example, I, I do that so that I could say Gordon Grissafeau is ahead of where Pallante was last year, and substantially, he, he throws a, a fastball that can get in the high nineties. It's touched one hundred. one um, hundred. He's poised on the mound. He's a battler. He's excited out there. You know, he he three of his first four appearances at Springfield. He went seven innings and uh, when he's ending the seventh inning, he looks electric and he's fired up about making it through seven innings. He's special. And I do think, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more conservative with prospects. A lot of times, like I, I don't, I don't like rushing the younger prospects. I I think that uh, it hurts baseball in kind of the long run, because now you're seeing guys booing back and forth between the majors and the minors, maybe a little bit more frequently than we ever have. But uh, with, with someone like Graceffo, as dominant and as dynamic as he can be with his slider and his changeup and a curveball that's coming along uh, and, and that fastball, uh, I, was, I could almost envision a situation at the beginning of the year where he started at Memphis and would have been able to handle his own. He's, he's unique and he's special. And honestly, including Matthew Libertor, I think that Gordon Graceffo and Markevian and Tinkent are the two – best arms in the organization. I think that from, from almost a practical application and what you could project on the top of them. I think that they're, they're like the true really special arms that no one's really talking about just yet. If we get
3: a month from now, Kyle, the Cardinals don't add an arm to the bullpen the way that many Cardinals fans would like to see. And at that point, Graceffo has had pretty close to a full seasons of work down in the minors as a starter. Do you think that there could be some benefit both for him and for the big league club, to use him out of the bullpen with the Cardinals down the stretch run in September and then into the playoffs.
7: Yeah. As long as, you know, in the meantime, he doesn't show any signs of fatigue or injury or anything like that. As long as he's still throwing with velocity, repeating his mechanics and everything's checking out. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be in the majors next year. If he stays healthy, that's, that's the trajectory he's on. So if, if push comes to shove and their internal options uh, that are already relievers in the organization, don't pan out and they don't reach out to grab somebody yeah, he'll be I, – again, I, I know a little bit about the young man. I know a little bit uh, about his personality, about his makeup. He's not going to shy down from that moment. I, I would imagine that uh, much like with Polante and, and Ryan Helsley perform because they're all kind of a similar type pitcher in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think that the bulldog in him, the competitor in him, will only shine uh, with more exposure to that, that light shining down on him.
4: Kyle, I want to go back to Tink Hentz because this was a, a picture that a lot of people saw. What was it, a couple of days ago where he had eight strikeouts in the game, um, in A ball. He's already
3: on Tanner's no trade list. Yeah. I mean, Tanner's got <laughs>
4: Tanner's got a twenty man no trade list on this Cardinals roster right now in terms of prospects. But Kyle, what in your opinion, what's the trajectory look like for Tink Hentz?
7: They're being very careful with with Marquis. I have to call him Markevian. I think he sound if I call him Marquee, and he sounds like some uh, like Greek God. Uh, <laughs> he's so, he's so I have to stick with Markevian, But no, uh, Markiewicz and Tinken, they are being very careful with him. He he dealt with some fatigue issues last year. He's kind of a spelt kid. He has a build a little bit more like Tristan McKenzie. So there isn't a whole lot of like meat on his bones. They're still trying to work with with that. But uh, you know, I like that they're being careful and cautious with him. He hasn't thrown more than three innings in a Palm Beach start. They they waited to put him uh, at Palm Beach uh, until the season was underway. And I would suspect that next year he probably starts the year at Peoria. And then at that point, if he stays healthy, if he continues to put on weight, um, I, w- I would suspect that he ends up being on the same type of trajectory that we've seen the Cardinals put their top prospects on for the last couple years, where by the time June comes around, if he's pitching well and showing that he's healthy, then he could be in Springfield by the end of June. Uh, even for being as young as he is and inexperienced as he is, the Cardinals are becoming more and more aggressive with their elite talent, and he is an elite talent.
3: Kyle Reese is our guest. You can find his work over on The Birds on the Black. You can also follow him on Twitter, at KyleR416. Uh, Kyle, I did want to ask you about Matthew Liberator, because I, I would say the reviews have been mixed in his big league starts so far. Where are you at on Liberator's development, and what do you think – Cardinals fans should have as realistic expectations because sometimes when you the Randy Rosarena thing happens and he has yeah. the unbelievable month where he turns into Babe Ruth, it swings in a very different direction from maybe what's realistic. Where should expectations be at this point on Libertor?
7: You know, this is my favorite conversation to have. I love uh, <laughs> throwing a little I, uh, throwing a little monkey in the wrench. So, uh, entering this year, I had asked Cardinal fans on Twitter, how would you feel if Matthew Libertor ended up being? The healthy version of Stephen Matz, and of course, and this is before I think the Cardinals even signed Matz. People freaked out about it, but I think sometimes we forget that Stephen Matz was like a top twenty-five prospect in baseball. He kind of profiled similarly. He he allowed more fly ball. Uh, Libertor allowed more fly balls than Matz did as prospects, but they were both young. They both advanced through their systems quickly, and they both made a major league debut. And uh, Matz was dynamite in his major league debut. But I only bring that up because what Matthew Libertor struggles with is his fastball. His fastball is his vulnerable pitch, and not just his fastball, but his two-seam. His two-seam grades out better than his four-seam, but he can usually get more life on the four-seam, and his, his, the rest of his repertoire, the curveball, the slider, the changeup all play better uh, off of his four-seam. So he's in kind of a conundrum. What we saw last year at the end of the year with Matthew Libertor is we saw an increase in velocity. He was throwing, uh, topping out between 95 and 97, and then by the fifth or sixth inning he'd be throwing 94-95. Well, that's his high now, and that's really that's that's really hurt him. Like the more with a lot of these pitchers, the more velocity they have, the better, the, the less margin for, or the, I guess the bigger margin for error they have. So I have my concerns about the sustainability of Matthew livertorpe if he isn't throwing his fastball uh, uh, fast, as generic sounding as that is. If he can continue to work that changeup and slider and curveball and make those his like primary offerings, I think. I think that's where he is at his best. Um, I think he's going to be something similar to Dakota Hudson. Uh, what what's, the difference is, you know, uh, Cardinal fans are crazy about Dakota Hudson right now, which I completely understand. But what I mean by that more than anything is he's probably not going to end up being the type that's going to strike out a ton. He's probably going to get a lot of contact. His contact's probably going to be in the air, which makes it a little bit more dangerous. But I don't think it's going to be a lot of hard contact, because his off-speed pitches are going to keep people off balance, as long as he's using them an appropriate amount. So uh, you know, for, for me, I think he's going to be a very important part of what the Cardinals do down the road, even if he, you know, this season, as we lead into uh, the, the playoff race, uh, even if it's not as an every-fifth-day every, every fifth day starter. I, I worry about his long-term outlook, maybe a little bit more than most prospect people, but... Even, like, even as we talk about Dakota Hudson with a lot of people freaking out, reasonably so about some of uh, Dakota Hudson's peripherals, I, I think that there's a sustainable mid to back end of the rotation uh, uh, from, from Matthew Libertor with, with some really great moments mixed in, just like we've seen out of Dakota Hudson as well.
4: Kyle, final one from me. It is a day that ends in Y for Cardinals fans, so you have to ask about Jordan Walker and what he has yeah. been doing throughout this Cardinals system. I think BK and I are under the impression that next season he could be legitimately fighting for a major league roster spot. Is that where you're at?
7: Yeah, I, I, I like to do the Walker and Carlson comparison. Walker is younger than Carlson was uh, by a handful of months when they were both at Springfield, but it's technically both of their age, 20 seasons when they were debuting in Springfield. And if you follow that pattern that the Cardinals set for Carlson in 2019, that would mean that uh, probably come August, Jordan Walker is getting some sniff of Memphis, maybe even September, um, some sniff of Memphis this year, which means just like with Dylan Carlson, he'd be putting himself in a position entering spring training of 2023 to, uh, to make an impression with the big club. Might not break with the big club, but make an impression with the big club. And then, you know, it, that, that bat is going to eat. Uh, his hit tool is underrated on the national stage. I keep seeing 40, but number 40 by his, his hit tool. I think that's way underrated. I think, you know, I, I think it's at least a 50 right now, uh, with, with maybe even just a little bit more in the tank. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think this time next year, we're definitely talking about Jordan Walker. Um, if he's not already a major leaguer, I, I, There'll definitely be fan angst about why he's not in the major leagues.
3: Final, we'll, we'll follow up with this really quick, Kyle, and We'll get you out of here on this one. What do you think is his future position? Because the, the Cardinals have a pretty good third baseman currently on the roster.
7: I think uh, you know a lot of people want to put him at first already, but I think I think Paul Goldschmidt's going to be a legacy Cardinal. I think he's going to have the same treatment that Yadier got and Wayno got, and he's the best first baseman I've ever watched play first. So I think that that puts him in a corner outfield, which of course. Is another issue. Uh, I think. I think when it's all said and done, he probably ends up in right field in the long term. But I don't want the Cardinals. And I mean, it doesn't matter what I want or not. But uh, I, I would be. I would love to see the Cardinals give him a chance, even though he's big and a monster to roam around center field. I just, you know, uh, baseball and every sport has gotten so much more athletic. Uh, the kids are bigger and they're stronger and they're faster and they're more agile. And I believe watching that young man play. That he has all of the instincts, all of the athleticism, all of the ability. Because another one of his underrated traits is his speed and his ability to run the bases and also run and to pick up the ball. So he has all of the IQ that I would love to see the Cardinals next year uh, tell him, or even this offseason, tell him to work out in center field, just see what it looks like. Uh, I, I think that they would benefit greatly from giving that a try, as crazy as that might sound right now. I would, it's just something I would love to see them try. And then if it doesn't work out, he can always go back to a corner outfield spot. But, yeah, I I think that that's probably the most likely trajectory.
3: He's Kyle Reese. Find his work over at the Birds on the Black. You can also follow him on Twitter. He's at KyleR416. Kyle, this is awesome, man. Always enjoy catching up with you. You've got uh, as good information as anybody can find outside of the organization. So keep doing the great work, and we'll talk with you again soon.
7: Again, thank you so much. It was an incredible honor, guys. Absolutely. That's Kyle
3: Reese joining us here on 101 ESPN. Have you seen Jordan Walker's recent numbers? Yeah. Batting... I also saw him steal second base the other day, and it was just absurd. He's batting 310. he He's got a five hundred slugging percentage right now in AA with Springfield. He's hit 20 doubles, 7 home runs, three triples and oh by the way he's stolen 15 bases in 64 games so far
4: so if this if that's the case and I mean the center field thing makes it really intriguing obviously with Harrison Bader but does that go back to the trade conversation about Tyler O'Neill? if you're really expecting him to be a part of this team next year and you feel like Tyler O'Neill could garner you a huge trade and basically could
3: dylan could brendan donovan be a left fielder for you the rest of this year and, and could Jordan walker be your left fielder going into next year
4: and can you get yourself a really good starting pitcher for a world series
3: run this year it's it presents a very interesting proposition for the cardinals i'd do it Trade him right now <laughs> whoa he's alex ferrari <laughs> and i'm brandon <laughs> Kylie. in 15 minutes we'll play a game but one's got to go but coming up next Let's hear from you, 65780 ear comfort service text line and the Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. What do you want the Blues to do in order to upgrade their defensemen? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: Do. We've said Trade we for want a defenseman, BK. We want Ryan McDonough. Yeah. You want to start the chant? McDonough,
5: We gotta get on the same page yeah, here, guys. T Bone, pick a side. Uh, I like McDonough better. McDonough, than Ryan. McDonough, McDonough, McDonough. I think McDonough. it's easier
3: to chant chicken chicken yeah, chicken yeah, yeah but I don't want to give up all the Arizona. prospects for him you yeah. know so you got some options right you could go the okay all we have to give up is money that's the Nick Letty route honestly there's not a whole lot else out there that I'm interested in
4: but but it's not just money for Nick Letty that's what I want people to understand like you're not getting Nick Letty and giving him money you've got to trade Ivan Barbashev that's to it. make Nick Letty work yeah that's it so you good with well I know you're that's <laughs> That was a bad question <laughs> to was ask. It was sad. Yeah, it was day a day ends that in ends in, in, in a And it's vacation weekend, so BK's really ready I mean, to trade him. I've been
3: trying to prepare y'all for this all, all year. Well, that's The reality right. is the Blues probably have to trade Ivan Barbashev or Marco Scandella, possibly both this offseason. But do you really want to give up... To so upgrade the team.
4: You're going to have to give up Ivan Barbashev in any of these scenarios. Probably. Do you really want to give up Ivan Barbashev for Nick Letty?
3: I mean, not particularly. I think o- I would honestly, rather give up Ivan Barbashev for the, the other Can two. I tell you the truth? I would rather them not make a signing and not make a trade this offseason than bring back Nick Clady. I would rather them try out Marco Scandella, Nico Mikul, and Scott I agree. And on the keep Ivan Barbashev. 100%. I agree with you on that one. That's that's my personal preference. I, I would just run it back as is yeah. the same guys that you had to start last year. And like, you know, But you know what? Maybe sign another lower... Maybe sign an Ian Cole.
4: Maybe a minimum contract or something. So you have that. I think you've got numbers, though. But you got
3: Callie Rosen locked up as well. So, yeah, you've got the numbers to. to, I would run it back before mm -hmm. I would sign Nick Letty. Nick Letty would be my last option out of these. Like you You, could run it back. That would be my third option. Nick Letty would be my fourth. My first option would be the Jacob Chikorin thing. If it didn't cost as much as it sounds like it's going to. You're going to have to pay a crazy haul. It's going to be probably Bull Duke, probably Perunovic, probably Barbie, probably a first round pick. Something in that realm, yeah. So that's second for me.
4: And, and the amount of people that are texting in right now saying, "Well, this is easy. Trade Colton Pareko. No, You're you are robbing can't. Peter to
3: pay Paul with that. So now who's my right-handed defenseman? On the you top don't four? have one. So I am going to have to well, go Justin out to the Falk would
4: be. But you cool with Robert Portuzo being your second pairing? So defenseman? now I am
3: doing. I am going to have to go sign John Klingberg for seven million dollars per year. You are doing the exact same thing you were doing prior, and now I still got to get my left-handed defenseman. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it doesn't. You are really not work trading
4: Pareco Kruger Falk.
3: So who do you want? On the text line, 65780, Rhino Shield mic drop feature is on the 101 ESPN app. Here's one from the 314. Guys, we don't have to bring back Nick Letty. What if you go with Ivan Provorov instead? Couldn't he make sense for the blues? Uh, he makes. More than? I think he's like 5.5, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of his cap hit. So he's more than Chikrin, less than. No, nope, I was wrong. He's 6.75. So he he's the exact same
4: as Ryan McDonough. And remember the last person we talked to, I forgot who was in Philly, but he essentially said uh, Ivan Provorov is the same player as Colton Pareko, a guy yep. who needs to have a stronger defenseman with him to bring him to his highest level. I don't think I want two guys that need that plane together in a shutdown role. I want a guy who's at that highest level and can bring Colton Pareko to that level.
3: 65780 is the air comfort service. we will get to some mic drops here in just a minute. But uh, from the 636 guys, I think that the Blues should consider trading Tory Krug in his salary to keep Scott Perunovich. He could be the next kale McCart. Well, let's <laughs> relax on that last part, but <laughs> Hey, look, I'm, I'm all about the comps, but so maybe we should start here, Alex, the blues realistically speaking, I would be surprised by this. I'm not going to say will not because Doug Armstrong is aggressive and he does stuff sometimes that I'm not anticipating, but I am not expecting them to move one of their current defensemen to improve their defense situation in those top three. I should say Justin Falk, Tory Krug, Colton Pareko. I, be, I would be shocked if those three are not back next year.
4: Well, You can't trade any of those guys. They all have no trade clauses. You could, they, they would just have to accept it. Why would you accept a no trade clause when you're on you. a team? And, and look, uh, Tory Krug has got 75 points in 94 games with the St. Louis Blues. Why, why are you wanting to trade that away right now? Like, Tory Krug has been the reason your power play has been so successful in these last couple of years. Colton Pareko plays 25 minutes a night for you. And Justin Falk has been your best defenseman over these last couple of years. Those three just need one more piece. And maybe that one more piece is just a Scott Perunovic or a Nico Mikula. But we just saw what happened against the Colorado Avalanche. You got overpowered on the defensive side. So you need somebody who can play to the same level as these three. That's going to cost you. But it also is going to cost you if you want to win a Stanley Cup.
3: Six five seven eight oh, zero, 5 7 service, X-line. Guys, I don't want them to bring back Nick Letty. I want him to go something cheaper. Nikita Zadorov feels like the right move to me. That's not cheaper. That's going to be just as expensive as Nick
4: Letty. That's going to, I mean, I forgot um, who we had on from Calgary. Eric Duhatchik. Thank you. I mean, he essentially said the guy's going to be looking at somewhere between four and five million dollars a year, and he's going to want four or five years.
3: Yeah. Jacob Chikrin money. The reality is, if you're going to upgrade the blue line any of these guys that we're talking about right now. They're all gonna be between four and six million
4: dollars. And I don't think somewhere I, around that. I, I think Nikita Zadorov is on the same level as Nick Letty. I think he's probably a step down from Nick Letty because he doesn't move the puck out of his zone as well as Nick Letty does. Let's get to some of your mic
3: drops. Let's start out with Tim. Boys, I am all on the Ryan McDonough yeah. 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 I think One more, Tim. Uh, Doug Armstrong is a wizard when it comes to this kind of stuff, this cap movement, player movement. Um if you're looking to get more of a semblance back to that 2019 cup run with the suffocating defense, you know, Ryan McDonough, seems like a quintessential blue blocking
4: shots playing 25 minutes a night.
3: And if you missed it earlier today, we did the math. If you want to make it work, the way that you make it work is Ivan Barbashev has to be out. He's got to be traded. You probably are able to get a decent prospect hole, honestly, or pick for Ivan Barbashev to someone else. And then Marco Scandella, you got to figure out what you're doing there. But you can either buy him out, that works, or you can trade him and potentially get uh, attach a pick with him or attach a to him and get less in return. But those would be the two moves that you'd have to make it work money wise. Let's go back out to the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. Let's hear from Tyler.
4: My main concern with trading for Ryan McDonough is that now you're adding one more um, aging contract onto the roster that's going to follow Brayden Shen, uh, Krug, Falk. Uh, potentially Perron and Ryan O'Reilly. So do the Blues really want to add on another aging contract like that? I I understand that thought process here, but I mean, we're acting like aging contracts are bad for teams. And I mean, there are, they can be, (laughs) they can be, yes. But think of the players you're talking about here. Braden Shen, you know what? Maybe he's not a top six player at the end of this contract but he is a guy who, I mean, the guy just played with cracked ribs the entire season, and he was giving you his best. I think he led the team in hits. That player's not just going to become irrelevant on the ice. He's I, going to be effective. Maybe.
3: I, I mean, the $6.5 million at some point is going to hurt, and that's okay. Like, this is the thing that they they extended in terms of years with Shin to pay him less money, and that's part of the deal, right? Like, they may end up having to do something similar with David Perron, where they give him an extra year to get the money down a little bit. That's what they've done. They did that on the blue line with Tori Krug and Justin Falk. Those guys are 30 and 31 years old, respectively. In 2026, are they going to be the same players that they were this year? The reality is probably not. And Doug Armstrong knows that. But you also don't know what the cap looks like in six years. 100%. But I'm saying, even if I accept all of that to be true, because what he's saying there, I don't necessarily disagree with. I actually think there's some truth to that, that in 2024 and beyond, it may hurt you that you've got these contracts on the book. I'm saying I don't care. I'm saying that I am willing to take on that risk because to be aggressive and go for a cup, sometimes you do have to take on a little additional risk, and that may be contracts four or five years from now that hurt more than what you want it to.
4: And sometimes for me, defensemen play better as they age. Like, And I understand that's a very... Rare thing to see, but there are a lot of instances where guys play better as they continue to age in the NHL. It's just a matter of what role they're used in. Maybe Ryan McDonough doesn't need to play 26 minutes a night like he was doing with Tampa because he was one of their best defensemen. He's probably playing a lot, but you've also got three guys who can play a lot of minutes for you in Colton Pareco and in Justin Falk and add in a Ryan McDonough. It's not going to look pretty. But again, do you really care what your contract cap situation looks like in three
3: years? If you've won a cup and been to a cup final in two of those three, me personally, no. Last thing on this and on the other side, we would normally play a game of one's got to go. We're going to do that at 145 because you're going to want to hear what a national major league baseball reporter talked about earlier today about the Cardinals in relation to one of the best players in the game. We'll do that coming up in 10 in just about five minutes. But somebody on the text line asks... Have the Blues even been linked to him and Ryan McDonough in any way? Oh, oh, they have. Yes. Tanner, do we have the clip from earlier today? This is from the 32 Thoughts podcast. This is Elliot Friedman, one of the best reporters in North America.
6: I've been told there's a lot of interest. I mean, who wouldn't want Ryan McDonough? Mm-hmm. One of the teams I think is there is potentially St. Louis. It makes a lot of sense. They're looking for a top 4-D. It fits with them. That's the kind of player Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube would love. I don't know if he ends up there, but it's one of the teams I've immediately started thinking about. Man,
4: if only you all could have been in our office before the show when we heard this audio. Coming These up next. Suicide,
5: they almost fainted.
3: <laughs> My collarbone still hurts. <laughs> guy who used to work in a major league baseball front office says the cardinals could acquire any player in the major leagues if they wanted to we'll let you hear it next year
2: on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
4: no why he's old i don't in need overrated. an aged yeah. guy but at the end of his contract he's gonna be 41 and he's not good anymore yeah why am i gonna over- overpay for an old guy Quarter i see what you're doing outfielder here. Thanks,
5: buddy. in the future yeah,
4: yeah he's not even to gonna field. be an outfielder he's yeah. probably gonna be a bench bat at the end of his contract yeah. and i'm not paying that guy 100 million dollars
5: can only hit lefties
4: yeah i'd like mike trout if that's okay nah, i don't want him. but it's not possible He's Keith the best Law. player in the game. I know I say that oh, name Keith and everybody Law. immediately says, Who is that
3: guy? This is really. I like he Keith says, Law. If the Cardinals wanted to, there is no player in Major League Baseball they couldn't acquire. Listen to this.
5: I mean, with Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn, who I'm hoping he features games in a couple of weeks, I'm really hoping we're going to see both of those guys there. That's a draft class from two. That was a pandemic draft, right? Where that's, I mean, that draft looks unbelievable for them right now they're doing so much right i'm not going to do the whole cardinal system here they're doing a lot right which puts them in again in this position where they could package a few of these guys together maybe not those two specifically they could put a few guys together and probably acquire anyone in baseball who's available in trade (laughs)
0: let's go
5: now
3: the reality is cardinals ain't doing that (laughs) (laughs) you're telling me you'd rather have walker
4: and win over mike trout I mean the way you tell me
3: about Jordan Walker, I do I got don't know. one better. Walker and win for Juan Soto. I Ooh. Those guys are like the reality is they're never going to be those players that that you just talked well, about with Juan you know Soto about? versus Mike Trout. But those two players are going to cost you nothing for the next 7 years. So so did Keith Law really name Mike Trout at all? Yes. Before okay. that, he so was we talking did. about what do the angels do? Okay, because I and was going to say I like, should have <laughs> clarified. This is via the uh, the Athletics Major League Baseball podcast, and the, the conversation they were having is. Hey, what do the Angels do? Because we've had this conversation of they've got too much money on the books to re-sign Shohei Ohtani. Most likely, right now they're going to have to make some kind of a significant move. Maybe it's trading Trout, maybe it's trading Ohtani, but they probably can't keep both long term. I just thought it was funny that like they're just hypothetically saying like they get anybody (laughs) they want. And Cardinals fans are like, "Oh great, we get Mike Trout for Jordan Walker." I the reason I bring that up is because. When the Cardinals say, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday in terms of them getting the benefit of the doubt. When the Cardinals say, we're not trading these guys. With Nolan Gorman, we're now seeing some of why. Man, they talk about Jordan Walker in a way that they talk about nobody in their system. He is different. He is on a level that only that, I mean, since I've been in doing this the only other guy that I can remember that they talked about this way was Oscar Tavares. Mm-hmm. The only yeah. other guy. And that's in the last decade. This is different. And Mason Wayne, based on all the reports down there, dude, he's he's hitting now. Mm-hmm. And the question about him was always, right. mm, not sure if that hit tool is going to come around. If he can hit, he has, I, I saw earlier today, fangraphs put out their projections on like the tools. So baseball at a scale of 20 to 80. 80 is Incredibly rare. He's basically like Hall of Fame level. You, you never see it, and and it's for any given tool. He has an eighty arm now. Some say that he has the best arm for any middle infielder in baseball. That's Jordan Walker. No, Mason. Oh, okay, Wings. Mason Wings. I'm sorry.
4: I was to say because that's
3: great. And they're not talking about in Double A and Single A. What? No, they're saying in from the majors all the way down to Low A. There is no player in the middle infield. That has a better arm right now than mason winn
4: i don't know o'neal cruz threw one that was like 102 <laughs> miles an hour the other day
3: I,
5: to, to, And to kind of go off at of that point there was a video we had kyle reese on earlier and he gifted a throw from mason winn on a cutoff play from i think it was kind of towards the third base line, and threw it home it was in slow motion in the Slow motion made the ball look fast even then. It was unbelievable. So
4: this is the question, and I didn't get the chance to ask Kyle this, but it's the question that I've seen a ton on our Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Why do you need a Mason win when Tommy Edmonds performing this way at shortstop? And you've got Nolan Gorman, who looks like he's playing
3: second base. Because in two years, who knows what Tommy Edmonds looks like? Like, that's the reality is two years from now, Tommy Edmonds going to be in arbitration. Tommy Edmund could be traded two years from now. Tommy Edmund could be a utility player for you two years from now. Tommy Edmund might be playing second base with Nolan Gorman as your DH every day two years from now. Who knows what it looks like? But right now, man, if you've got elite level talent, I always think like for prospects, if you've got the mid tier talent, those are the guys that I'm using as my trade chips. Unless I really need something right now for a championship team. That's like one piece away. And the thing with Jordan Walker, too, is like he's... Mason Wynn, to finish that thought, is that elite-level talent, potentially.
4: Jordan Walker, and the reason he is untouchable for me and why I wouldn't even trade him for this scenario that Keith Law is bringing up is... He's not just a one trick pony in terms oh. of he can only play third base. I mean, this guy could play a corner outfield spot. Kyle said that he could play a center field spot for you. I mean, you're talking about both corner infield positions, and you're talking anywhere in the outfield on top of being a DH. Like, I want if that bat is what they're saying it's going to be I want that bat because he's defensively going to be able to play anywhere for you
3: Somebody else asks. Hey guys, I know it's good to have a good arm in the infield But it's not as important as being able to make the play that shouldn't be made. I need that type of player Yeah, that's mason one too. He's also an excellent fielder Mm -hmm. mason one defensively some believe is like ready to go in baseball uh, In major league baseball. It's the bat that's that's still developing and so give it time there Um, but the reason why I wanted to play that is not so much to say like, Hey, the Cardinals are getting Mike Trout. The Cardinals are going to acquire Juan Soto. It's, it's just to say like, if the Cardinals wanted to get aggressive, they could, the reality is they probably shouldn't because when people are talking like that, other organizations in baseball also value your talent. Anytime that you've got somebody in the minor leagues and you're getting no calls about them, that's when you wonder, (laughs) "Mm, what are we missing here? We think he's pretty good, but nobody else seems to want him. Does nobody want this player? Everybody seems to want Mason Wynn, Nolan Gorman, Jordan Walker. You look down at some of the other pitchers that are now in the lower levels. Like I'm sure they'll get calls about Tinkens. He's probably going to be a guy. He's, in, he's far away right now. He's 19 years old, but he has crazy velocity and strikes out everybody right now down in the lower levels. That's a guy that other teams are going to be interested in. Uh, Gordon Graceffo, who I think will probably be up before the end of the year. He's a guy that everybody's going to be interested in because he throws 97 and he's going seven innings consistently right right now at double A and could be in somebody else's rotation next year, potentially. Like That's what they have right now down in the system. So, man, whether it be you want to give credit to the front office and the scouting staff or the player development or whatever it is. I think all of them deserve a ton of credit. The Cardinals have a really good minor league system, right? Randy now. Randy Flores has Ooh, changed the Cardinals future outlook for how he drafts. And hopefully, if I was another team, yeah, I want him as my general manager. He, he would be one of the first calls that I make. And I, after seeing the success that they've had with him as they, the man that's in charge of their draft. And I know
4: when you're John Mose, like you're all about, you know, future, jobs for guys and making sure that they have a good future but like you can't you're gonna have to pry Randy Flores off of my cold dead hands because that man ain't going anywhere
3: with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kiley coming up next we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind with a game that we play each and every week on Fridays it's a game that we like to call one's gotta go 65780 is your comfort service tax line you give us four options and we will tell you which one's gotta go here on 101 ESPN
2: we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn this is bk and ferrario time now for one's gotta go we offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 espn Out that Six five
3: seven eight zero is the air comfort service X line for one's gotta go. One gotta go lame firework edition with Fourth of July coming up on Monday. We have five more minutes before a three day weekend. PK's putting up backsplash. <laughs> yeah, that's right. PK's <laughs> dad's putting up backsplash. That's yeah, more accurate. Sparklers, daddy,
4: take a picture. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Sparklers, go for it, buddy. Smoke bombs, snakes. Oh god, or the poppers. Poppers are Wait, phenomenal. Are the literally, it just, you light it and it turns black. You have a torch <laughs> and it, like, expands. You've never seen that before? Really? Bro? Sparklers? No, no, no. A snake, man. You said snake. You put it on the ground, it turns everything black because it's just, and it's like, it just smells ash. awful. And it, you, you use, like... Typically either a lighter or a flamethrower, depending on what you've got available It's literally to like wa- lighting a piece have a of paper, thrower, so a I get, torch.
4: It's I, literally like lighting a piece of paper right, and I'm watching it these, burn. These but don't it sound fun. It, it, gets, <laughs> <laughs> it gets bigger. Yeah, the snake's got to go here.
5: Yeah, get rid of that. I don't even know what it is Man, still, and it doesn't sound fun. I love
4: the Pop Rocks. I throw
5: them at my wife all the
4: time. Like, where she's walking at? Not now, because she's pregnant. I wouldn't do that, but after she's pregnant. I wonder if Adelaide will like that this year. Is,
3: this is her first real, this like, is her
4: first real yeah, because experience
3: with Fourth of July.
4: Yeah, because she was a... She's like four months when 4th of July came around last night. Yeah, she was sleeping when fireworks
3: were going off, so. 65780 is your comfort service. Excellent. We're going to sweep that one in snakes. Yeah. Uh, One's got to go. Summer bug edition. Oh, Mosquitoes, wasps, June bugs, or just your typical house flies.
4: I'm glad you didn't put cicadas in here because cicadas would have had to go, but I think mosquitoes
3: are the ones now. They ruin everything. You can't be outside. My Mm -hmm. wife has a deathly fear of june bugs i mean deathly fear they're they're
4: essentially cicadas it's just they're smaller and because they start
3: out as the grubs Mm -hmm. and then eventually they that's why you use green envy bk and use grub control trust me i know i don't get
4: moles or
3: you don't get june bugs it's true uh i am gonna be with you though alex i've got a mosquito bite on my inner thigh right now it's it's been kicking my ass
5: (laughs) now for like four days
3: Hey, T (laughs) t-bug
4: I got a mosquito bite on my inner ankle. And it okay, I can't say much because so I, I don't I don't
5: like mosquito bites either. Nobody so likes mosquito bites. It's the worst. Especially
3: That's if you have a lot of go. them, and then like one straight. inches and
5: the next one inches. Ah, oh, dude, terrible. And I'm, I'm
3: allergic clear nail polish. to wasps, and I still would take mosquito, or I would take wasps have over mosquitoes. Have you ever mosquitoes. done that with
4: mosquito bites? You do it for chigger bites, but have you ever done that with mosquitoes, the clear nail polish?
3: that really a thing it works it works on chigger bites i just I use the anti-itch cream put that bad boy lather it all up in her thigh ready to go I
5: 6 lathering
3: up those bites huh remember
5: the conversation of him like forgetting his wedding ring because he was lotioning his hands yeah
4: <laughs> oh my god i do remember that conversation
3: that's <laughs> <laughs> when we went on our honeymoon I paid fifty bucks for a replacement that was worth probably less than five. Honey,
4: hold my ring. I got a lotion up my
3: hands. I wish I had her hold it. Then I would have remembered it. It's taken on our honeymoon five days after our two days after our wedding. (laughs) I'm an idiot. One's got to go. Blues trade edition. Matthew Kachuk, Ryan McDonough, Jacob Chikrin, Ivan Provorov. Are we all on the same yeah, page? Provorov's, Provorov's the one that's got to be out. Yeah, there's too many better names out there right now. Now that Ryan McDonough has emerged as an option, I don't think Ivan Provorov would even be really in the conversation for me. They cost the same amount. I understand he's younger, but McDonough's just a better player.
4: Provorov's not even the first guy I would trade for from Philadelphia. I'd that's go Travis Sanheim over that. So, yeah, I mean, he's he would be really fallback option for me because he's still a good defenseman, but there's other guys that are better now.
5: Yeah, I, I'm with you on, on that one. I, I'll be honest, I didn't even hear the question. I was getting okay, something good God bless it, man. Hey, at least you I, tried I to was, fake I was it. Grabbing, I was grabbing the sign. Hey, I know. I tried my best to make it. Take you make it, buddy. I was grabbing our end of the show sounder. Let's finish it with this.
3: One's got to go 4th of July cookout edition. It's like Memorial Day. Pulled pork, oh my gosh. ribs, brisket, smoked chicken. Which one's got to go, Alex? Smoked chicken's got to go here
4: really yeah uh, the other one. i was gonna say ribs but smoked chicken just doesn't compare to any of these other three regardless of what sauce you put on it i, I think he's right
5: see i love chicken so i'm not getting rid of the I smoked know you do. chicken you made, I, you made chicken i, I get rid more. of the brisket that's I what i smoked I'd get rid of.
3: chicken or chicken in general a lot more than i would eat pulled pork but it's because but if, the other things are such a special thing to make yeah if, if you get pulled pork and it's done right Oh. Pulled pork is tremendous. The I, upside there is just something that you can't touch with a smoke. I
4: really want to try to do a brisket on my smoker that this is weekend. It's hard
3: to master. I've heard it is very difficult, but
4: I want to try it so bad. I leave
3: it to the pros. I respect anybody that can do that. Well, I'll, well, I'll,
4: I'll report back on
3: Tuesday when you are here this upcoming yeah. week. So what we accomplished today? Ryan we traded for Mike Trout. Yep. We added Ryan McDonough. Yep. Sorry, I haven't barbachev you got to go well that was, that was established it's from last nice year seeing you i think we've got some championship contending clubs and here we found out that bk oh, is going to be-, be on the on the big league club sooner rather than later and we found out that bk's here next week yeah i did find that out it's a great week <laughs> for alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley be safe this weekend Please nope. don't pull a Jason Pierre-Paul. Come in to work on Tuesday with five uh, all all ten of five, your fingers. Five, five ten. fingers. All right, one hand. That's worse I want <laughs> to That's up Pierre Paul. Did we'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. We've got a best of. I think it'll be a good show. Tanner's put that together for you I on really Monday. Don't. The fast lane's coming up from two to six. Happy Fourth Happy of, July, of July, everybody.
5: Okay, uh, watches and. Claps. like, good job, Dad. I'll give you a hand, Dad. <laughs> Daddy,
3: can, do you want me to hand you the tile? that's probably going to be my job. Um, so
2: we're doing that this Take weekend.
5: My look. I'm doing
2: it. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in, and let me tell you,